Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Thursday, June 13th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Better Government Association reporter Casey Toner will join us. We welcome back union man Ed Maher, and it's the return of the 10th Ward Alderwoman herself, the one, the only, Sue Sedlowski-Garza. Now your host, if you're looking for an air organ player in your band, he's your man, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this a new day Thursday. (laughs) And here's why. Yesterday, while I was sitting here in the studio sparring with the great Ricky Hendon, I love Ricky Hendon. Uh, yesterday, as I was saying, was Lori Lightfoot's second one-two city council meeting. And we've learned a few things about the differences between Lori Lightfoot and our previous mayor. Oh, what's his name? Take a chill pill, Matt. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Rom. (laughs) Yeah, Rom. I'm smart. You're not. That mayor. Remember him, D? Take a chill pill, Matt. Okay, hold on, man. Yeah, thanks, Rom. Uh, anyway, here are the two, uh, differences right off the top. One. Lori listens to people, unlike Rom. And number two, she engages with people that Rom would be so terrified to engage with. I'm scared. Number two. <laughs> I caught you off guard with that one. I love the number come two. Come on, too quick at me there. All right, let me explain what I'm talking about, D. All right. Before every city council meeting, there's a 30 minute or so public comment session where the people of the city of Chicago get to stand up and address their lordships and ladyships who rule this city like it was a feudal manner. Say, oh, your highness, your royal highness, uh, let me complain about the property taxes or whatever, okay? And uh, Mayor Rahm Mayor uh, looked upon that like a trip to the dentist, man. He hated to, to quote Ricky Hennon, he hated the public comment session of the Chicago City Council. In fact, somebody, the c- citizens of Chicago had to sue to even have it. That's a whole other long story. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, Fran Spielman today in the uh, Sun-Times. She had a great comment about this. Here's Fran Spielman on Mayor Emanuel's attitude about the public session comment. Quote, Emanuel always looked like he was bored or about to have a tooth pulled during these sessions. Never did he engage with a public participant. Oh, that is so true. Some guy would get up to complain about his tax bill or a TIF deal, and Rom would be rolling his highs like he was like a mean girl in the cafeteria going, oh, they got a loser. Take a chill pill, man. That was his attitude. Because to Rom, anyone 
who had so little clout that he or she had to resort to making his or her feelings known by speaking out at a public comment session was a loser. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, like a high roller who gave money to Rom and could just call him up and go, hey, cut those geezers money. Give it too much money to those retirees. Cut them. Yes, sir. That's how we talk. Anyway, when the guy stood up at the city council meeting, he was like a loser. But when the high roller called in, it was like, yes, sir. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. But Lori Lightfoot, different mayor. Got a different attitude. Uh, but there was just a couple days ago, the the, the papers filled with stories. I don't know if you saw this, D, where the home care workers came to testify for an increase. Oh, no, they were testifying for Fair Work Week, and uh, they also were like an increase in the minimum wage. Lori Lifford actually came down to the, count, the city council chambers and sat where like the normal people sit uh, in the regular people section and listened. The press corps couldn't believe it. Like, what is she doing here? She was like, I am listening. And she took notes and everything. Man, they couldn't believe it. Like, Rob would never sit down over there. What a real person. Anyway, the other thing Lori does is that she stands up to tough guys to, who, you know, are used to pushing Rom around. Like, for instance, in their first meeting with Ed Burke, Alderman Ed Burke, that would be evil Ed Burke. Remember him, D? Evil Ed Burke. Don't go in the basement. <laughs> Don't go in the basement. Evil Ed Burke, 14th Ward, Alderman, Chairman of the Finance Committee, the most powerful man in the Chicago City Council, has a property tax appeal business while he's overseeing the processing of TIFs and contracts. Evil Ed. All right. <laughs> At her first meeting, Evil Ed stood up and tried to chastise Lori. Oh. You made a mistake in your gender, uh, in the way you handled gender in that contract. To which Lori said, sit down! <laughs> the evil Ed, I'm sitting, the press corps was like amazed. Oh my God, did she talk to evil Ed that way? I can't believe it. She just didn't die right there and then. That's another difference between Lori and Rom. Rom was so afraid of evil Ed that every time he saw evil Ed, he bowed down to him. Yes, your highness. Yes, your evilness. I will do whatever you tell me. Anyway, yesterday was an interesting exchange, uh, not with Evil Ed. He was on his best behavior with Lori Lightfoot. I guess he learned his lesson from the last time. But with a uh, the first president of the Fraternal Order of Police got up to accuse the new mayor of freezing the police union. I'm uh, citing Franz Spielman's column uh, article. Freezing the police union out of transition discussions of public safety and public uh, and police reform. And he said, quote, if you're serious in moving Chicago forward, you must be willing to gather input from everyone. And that includes the Fraternal Order Police. You will have difficulty achieving your goals if you do not include us, to which Lori Lightfoot said, and she responded to him directly. And again, folks, this is in the public testimony session of the city council meeting. Mayor Rahm would never deign to respond to a police official or a police a member of the Fraternal Order of Police who stood up. She said, anytime you're willing to move forward and reform and not black er, block every single issue and criticize and say, no, my door is open. I've said that to your president. No one's taking me up on it, sir. Everybody applauded. I say this to that. I know there's a lot of policemen out there who think Lori's disrespectful to them. I know there's a lot of policemen out there who don't think they're getting a fair shake from her. I'm going to tell you this straight up, everybody. The way she's treating the Fraternal Order of Police is a huge improvement over the way Rahm treated the Chicago Teachers Union when he came in. 
And when they came in, he told them to shut up, sit down, and do what he said. And he, you know why he treated them that way, D? Because he thought they were losers. We got a great show today, everybody. Man, Casey Toner, this guy doesn't play around. He comes early. He's supposed to be here at one thirty. goes, I'm an early bird type of guy, like the robin who gets that worm. He's here already for the BGA. We're going to be talking about some sleazy goings on in the suburbs of Lyons, an investigation that Casey did with the BGA and the, my beloved, where is it, Chicago Reader, right there, dealing with, of all things, TIFFs in the suburbs. Hey, all you people out in the suburbs, you think TIFFs are something that only exists in the city of Chicago? You are losers if you think that because they exist in the suburbs as well casey did the deep dive some wheeling and dealing going down on lions i'm like hmm, this sounds like something that mayor ron would try to pull off in the city of chicago and there's some overlaps we'll be talking about that uh with casey who's sitting right here i may ask him a few other questions about some bga investigations while i have him in the studio ed maher will be here at two o'clock big ed our union man we're talking union issues with ed maher and of course at 2 30 the one and only the pride and joy of the 10th ward Oh, yeah. Sue Sadlowski-Garza will be here. And you know what, Dee? Hmm. Today is the anniversary. This happened before you were born. I don't think there's a person in this studio who was around. Yeah, you're old. Oh, <laughs> except for me. Casey looks like he's about 19, who was around when the demolition, disco demolition night occurred. All right, look at that. Disco demolition. Does anybody in this room know what disco demolition is? Casey, just raise your hand if you do. He's nodding his head. He says he knows, even though he wasn't alive then. That's when they blew up a bunch of disco records uh, at Chicago White Sox Park. Uh, and it, it was a it, it, it was a, like a, a PR event that went the wrong way. Anyway, I think it happened on this night 40 years ago. Why am I mentioning? No, it happened in July. I don't know why they're bothering to uh, talk about it <laughs> now. It's two weeks away. Anyway, by chance, Sue Sedlowski-Garza was a young teenager at Comiskey Park rocking and rolling to blow up disco. Sue and I see eye to eye in a lot of things, D. But one thing we don't see eye to eye on, hmm. disco. I love it, okay? Oh I was God. against disco demolition because I, I love disco. Casey Toner's shaking his head like, man, disco is just so oh, He oh. likes disco. Oh, you like disco? <laughs> Did not know that. There you go. Okay, I just like him already. Right. things about our <laughs> guests. Awesome. Well, he's a millennial, man. I, I don't know. Millennials like, you like disco? I do. Someone must have taught you the right way. Uh, Leah, you like disco? No, man, she's like, uh-uh, I disco, no. Anyway, D, what do you got for me, young man? Well, it's uh, we're going to talk about the national news. Before we do that, let me look at your cup here. Yeah, it looks like you need another refill, that Lori Kool-Aid. <laughs> Someone, on, get refill. I, what can I say, man? You know, she listens to people. She listens to me. Sipping on that Lori Life Kool-Aid. Hold on, man. Kool -Aid, hold, on, hold on. Oh, there we go. Get a drink. Mm -mm. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to drink some Pritzker Kool-Aid now. Oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh. I love you, JB. Now, okay. hold on. Let's see some Donald oh, Trump Kool-Aid. Oh, please stop with the Kool-Aid joke. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't work with the Donald Trump Kool-Aid. It's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Oh, someone get a towel and a mop. The president's vomiting everywhere again. <laughs> Let's start with Trump's comments on ABC Wednesday night during oh, yeah. his interview with ABC. Wow. Our president, Donald Trump stated with confidence right after the closing of the Mueller report that he would be open to accepting damaging information on a 2020 election opponent from another country <laughs> and would feel no uh, obligation to inform the FBI. Yeah. Huh, no. Why would he do? Oh, wait, that's right. He's a troll. <laughs> that's why he's doing that. I, D, when, 
I know you were uh, really diverted last night. Uh, your attention was diverted. By the way, everybody, let's round of applause for young Dennis. His hockey team won the Stanley Cup. St. Louis Blues? Yes, yeah, St. Louis Blues. He's from the 618 area code downstate Illinois, uh, right across the Mississippi River from uh, St. Louis. A little geography lesson for uh, my Chicago listeners. who are like, where's St. Louis? Anyway, congratulations, young man. I know you're very happy I mean, today. I, I'm not on the Blues, but thank you. I mean, you know. <laughs> I uh, I was unaware that the, it was game seven until Dennis uh, texted me last night. Go, woo! <laughs> I didn't do that. So congratulations. <laughs> anyway, because, uh, so I don't know, you were watching the game. When you, we're, I don't know if you heard that when that story broke, but that is just like Donald Trump, man. I, that's beyond um, trolling, D. I think that's, that's just like utterly defying every norm in the world. You know, uh, guys, if a foreign power uh, hacks into computers of a, one of the two leading parties in America and starts stealing information and posting it, that's got to be a violation of the law. You know what I'm saying? Like anti-piracy laws or something. And at the very least, you should turn that over to law enforcement officials. But what Donald Trump is saying, no, nope, I'll just take the information and not tell the FBI. And Wow, man. If you imagine if a Democrat had said something like that, D? Here's the quote from Trump. Quote, and I'm not doing the Donald Trump oh, voice. There's on, a lot please. of quotes. We got to power through this, all right? Uh, I think you might want to listen. There isn't anything wrong with listening, Trump said in an interview with ABC on Wednesday. If somebody called from a country, Norway, and said, we have information on your opponent. Norway? Oh, <laughs> Norway's not going to call? <laughs> we have information on your opponent. Oh, I think I'd want to hear it. It's not, inter it's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. If I thought there was something wrong, I'd go maybe to the FBI. But when somebody comes up with oppo research, right? They come up with oppo research. Oh, let's call the FBI. Okay. Uh, by the way, at the end of that, it doesn't really work when you read it straight, D. You got to do it in your Trump <laughs> yeah, voice because it makes no sense the way you read it straight. But uh, that's so funny. He just picks Norway. Like Norway is going to be, uh, you know, sneaking into the United States computer. Uh, Donald, Norway's not the problem, all right? Uh, okay? Norway is not really hacking into American computers trump then followed that up with of course tweets to justify himself and in doing so in typical donald trump fashion he titled the prince of wales w-a-l-e-s as the prince of wales w-h-a-l-e-s like shamu the whale wait time out did he do that on purpose was he making fun of well, the guy they, or did he just misspell it they realized they misspelled it and later corrected it so. oh i see so he wasn't making fun of the guy no 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 no, okay. no, no. And since all of this, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Ben, please calm down. <laughs> Hold on. I got to have I got a little Nancy Pelosi yeah, Kool-Aid. Get, get that Kool-Aid there. Mm. Uh, Pelosi said ah, delicious. <laughs> Pelosi said Democrats would submit a bill to mandate campaign reports on foreign information. Oh, what did she? Oh, good for her. All right. Get that bill in. there. <laughs> also happening at the Trump White House. Yeah. And I got to admit, I liked it more when she wasn't in the news all the time. White House aide Kellyanne Conway. Oh, what'd she do now? The U.S. Office of Special Counsel uh, Conway has recommended that she be removed from office because of repeated hatch Act violations. The Hatch Act uh, requires certain government activities be nonpartisan, and the 1939 law is enforced by the U.S. Office of Special Counsel. And believe it or not, this isn't the first time Conway has been reprimanded for violating the Hatch Act, and if you don't believe it, you must be new. In early 2018, the Office of Special Counsel released a report finding Conway violated the Hatch Act when she advocated on behalf of disgraced former U.S. Senate candidate Roy Moore of Alabama. God, there you. You know, I have I've had a long-standing issue. This goes back before Donald Trump. 
with uh, PR people who work for the city of Chicago because they're there, they're there uh, by virtue of my taxes, my tax dollars. They're public information officers who are supposed to deliver public information. And more, more often than not, they act as though they're public relations operatives for whoever is the mayor. So I've always had a struggle with this one. Like I'm paying for the mayor's PR spend. I realize that's how the world works. I understand that uh, to a certain degree. It's just just Chicago, but I think Kellyanne Conway takes it beyond uh, what even this, well, you know, I have to think about this. Is she worse than the Flax who worked for Mayor Rahm? Gotta think about this, D, before I make that declaration. Take a chill pill, man. Okay, sorry, Rob. The White House has responded and has called the report from Office of Special Counsel, quote, deeply flawed and unevenly applied. And, of course, it also blamed liberal organizations. Of course, you know, that, there, there, that proves, you know what, Rom? Your PR people are not as bad as Trump's. Now time for today's 2020 Democratic presidential candidate update. We have another candidate taking a swipe at the alleged Democratic frontrunner. It's Democratic 2020 presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke. He criticized former Vice President Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden, today on that uh, Morning Joe show. Ben, you love that show, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I've actually never seen. <laughs> My good friend Ed Pipes, Ed, if you're listening, was the one who told me about Morning Joe. Oh. Until Ed came around, I never even... He hated Morning Joe. He's always mad at Morning Joe. O'Rourke called out Biden saying, quote, you cannot go back to the end of the Obama administration and think that that's good enough. As much of a horror show as Trump has been, his racism, the disaster of his foreign policy, his punishment of farmers and workers here in this country, we had problems before Trump became president. We cannot return to the past. We cannot simply be about beating Donald Trump. Well, okay, I have mixed feelings about listening to Better O'Rourke uh, talk that way. For one thing, uh, I agree with part of what he's saying, uh, that it's absolutely important and imperative for Democrats uh, to have policies that they're running on as opposed to just rhetoric against Trump, although I do believe that it's the anti-Trump fervor that's going to carry the day ultimately. But I'm just a little curious about Beto O'Rourke. He's Mr. I get along with Republicans when he was running for Senate. Remember that? Oh, I love Republicans. Why can't we all get along? He got into the car with the Republican, remember that one day, and they drove across the state of Texas together. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about. This is taking a deep dive into Better O'Rourke. And he he made like a Facebook thing about it, because you know he's a millennial and knows how to use Facebook. And he put it on Facebook. Everybody saw him hugging the Republican as they drove, and it's like, oh, it's a new kind of Democrat. He gets along with Republicans. And then of course he wouldn't campaign against this particular Republican whose name eludes me. And so it uh that Republican was able to win re-election as a congressman. It's a seat that Dems could have won. And now all of a sudden he's critical of Obama and Biden? I'm like, what What happened to me? Oh, I get along with everybody. But, you know? Well, I think he has something in common with you. He's like a flag just <laughs> in the wind. One direction. Yeah, yeah. Biden was actually in Chicago Wednesday for a fundraiser on the Gold Coast. Mm. After a two-day visit to Iowa, Biden went to the home of Bob Wislow, the mm. chairman of CBRE Chicago, which is a commercial real estate firm, and his wife Susan in a Gold Coast high-rise. Mm-hmm. The fundraiser was also hosted by William Singer, an attorney and longtime friend all right let me tell you a little something about something all right yeah. whistle is big time developer in this town did you know that d no and uh william singer that's bill singer billy singer he ran for mayor in this town 1975 did you know that d he used no. to be the alderman. <laughs> you keep asking everybody if they knew this <laughs> I'm like, you're oh smart God. we're not okay we get it 
You're smart, we're not, Mayor Rahm. It's ancient history, D. Nobody remembers this stuff, but uh, these old power players are still hanging around and Joe Biden, they're cultivating Joe Biden. It, I also saw on the bright one that Proco Joe was there. Proco Joe uh, Moreno, they all know, all, you know him, though. Oh, yeah. He loves 90s rock and roll music. Uh, and uh, he was there. He just lost his reelection, but he was invited to this uh, power uh uh, get together. So, you know, I don't know, D. It's kind of hard to get all fired up about Joe Biden uh, for many reasons. One of which, if you're a longtime Chicago independent reformer or whatever I am, uh, to see him, you know, hobnobbing with uh, the sort of the Mayor Daley crowd, the Mayor Rom crowd. But I guess that's how Democrats get elected. They all come together, right? Put aside their differences, except for Better O'Rourke, is still a little upset at Joe Biden for something. So, by the way, were you invi- invited to the fundraiser? Uh, yeah, I said, nah, I'm good. Okay, no, yeah, thanks. Yeah. You had to, you had to watch the Blues not. game. Yeah, I had to watch the Blues game, yeah. man. Come on. Okay. You know what I mean? More I wasn't invited. Guy. All right, now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along because, people, we are moving along. And we are going to find out what is going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. And uh, while I prepare and get ready for the local news, Ben is going to recite to all of you pages <laughs> from the Mueller report. Oh, yeah. He just bought the Mueller report, I guys. I bought it, yeah. and uh, 15 bucks. Uh, $15, yeah. <laughs> Look at that giant thing. Yeah, I'm going to buy a copy. Ricky Hendon asked me to buy a copy so, for him. Ben, if you could, uh, as I get ready for the local news, just uh, recite some of the Mueller report for everybody. I just opened to page 105. This is Casey Toner's favorite section. Oh. An analysis of the metadata collected from the WikiLeaks sites revealed that the stolen uh, Podesta emails show a creation date of September 19, 2016 based on information about Assange's computer and its possible operating system. This date may be when the GRU staged this. Man, this is actually, act, this is stuff, geeky stuff that I really get into about stealing those Keep Democratic going, geek. Uh, emails. The WikiLeaks sites also released PDFs and other documents taken from Podesta that were attachments to emails in his account. Those documents had a creation date of October 2nd, 2016. Folks, they were stealing. They were hacking computers, stealing information, putting on the internet. I got a mixed feelings about that. On one hand, um, I'm against stealing, Casey. On the other hand, I'm obsessive about wanting to know what people are talking about. And that gave me some insights on how the Democrats think, that the party leaders think, and, and uh, how they were plotting against Bernie. So I got, you know, D, you just said I was a flag in the wind. I'm a flag in the wind. But unlike Donald John Trump, I recognize that it is a crime to steal other people's emails. So anyway, I got that on Donald Trump. All right, we're ready. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live, man. That was a riff. Uh, And Dennis, it's time for you to take the deep dive on the local news. Absolutely. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. And today, it's our Lori Lightfoot City Council meeting number two in review. (laughs) We're going to do that. But first, we have to talk about a statement made by Mayor Lightfoot after Wednesday's city council meeting, a statement on that one thing that a Chicago mayor cannot seem to work their way around. Well, that is besides a reader column from Ben Jarofsky ripping them to shreds. Am I right, buddy? Am I right? Yeah, it doesn't get me a lot of friends. We're talking about tax hikes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. The following comes from the Illinois political bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos. Mayor Lori Lightfoot confirmed what we all knew was inevitable tax hikes. Mm -hmm. Here's the quote from Lightfoot, quote, We have a lot of hard choices that we are going to have to make regarding city finances. There's no question that we are going to have to come to the taxpayers and ask for additional revenue. The mayor did not get specific, saying the details are a, quote, open question because we're still trying to get our arms around how big the deficit is for next year and what we can do to winnow it down. 
Politico goes on to write that Lightfoot's popularity may make it easier to get a tax hike approved without too much of an outcry, especially one done early in her first term. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts here. Do you agree uh, that Lightfoot's popularity out of the gate could uh, help her out here? Uh, I don't think it'll offset the outcry from people who watch their property taxes go up. I can tell you that right now. She could be the most popular person in the world, but if you're paying more in taxes, it's no joke. And ta- property taxes are going up, up, up. Anybody uh, who gets a property tax bill in the city of Chicago knows what I'm talking about. I've been railing and ranting against this forever. There's got to be a more progressive way to fund government, in my humble opinion. But our, our the politicians in our state, elected officials, step away from the more progressive forms of taxation, keep coming back to the more regressive forms, and that's why there's such a heavy emphasis on property tax, particularly for education. So she, I do not believe her personal prop, uh, personal popularity will shield her from the outcry. There will be an outcry. That what she will have to do, and this gets back to positioning and PR people, is put it uh, put it in a way, frame the tax height in a way that people think it's worth their while to pay those taxes. And that is a tough public relations challenge that she's facing, Dennis. But no, I do not believe that 75 percent uh, voter turnout, that 75 percent that she got in the last election is going to uh, diffuse the outcry when people get that tax hike. All right, now on to yesterday's city council meeting. Like we said, this is Lightfoot's second city council meeting since becoming mayor. The last meeting featured a showdown between Lightfoot and that super shady alderman of the 14th Ward, one Ed Burke. Ben, remind us of uh, what went down at that last meeting, and please, can we hear that Ed Burke impression again? <laughs> oh, you mean evil Ed Burke? Yeah, yeah, Oh, that's yeah. where evil Ed stood up and said, oh, you got the gender that's my supposedly my Darth Vader imitation. And then what did Lightfoot say? <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> so there you go. That That's was... kind of a paraphrase of went down, more or less. <laughs> Not as much drama this time around, but Lightfoot did have a bit of a heated exchange during Wednesday's meeting. And this time it wasn't with an alderman. No, it was Patrick Murray, vice president of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police, a.k.a. the FOP. Murray asked the mayor why she didn't include their union on any of her transition teams. Uh, He said, quote, you will have difficulty achieving your goals if you do not consult us. Lightfoot did not hesitate with her her response, saying, quote, anytime the FOP wants to do anything other than obstruct and object to reform, I'd be more than willing to meet with you. Here is Lightfoot after the meeting and after her exchange with Patrick Murray. It's an interesting world. Well, I, I wouldn't say I mixed it up with him. He, he made some specific comments um, about not listening to and inviting FOP um, to be part of the discussion, and, and that's just flat wrong. Um, I have had several conversations with uh, President Graham. Uh, I think there's a number of things in which we could move forward together if there was a spirit and willingness of cooperation. The FOP has set itself up, not only this administration, but the previous one, of being opposed to every single step in reform, even when it benefits their officers. I think that's a mistake, and I I certainly have heard that from line officers, um, that they want the kind of change in resources and improved training, um, investment in wellness, um, that a, a lot a lot of the reform um, efforts have been about. So if they want to partner with me on those issues, I welcome that, that uh, opportunity. But I'm not going to um, let somebody stand there and say they've been left out um, on the outside looking in because that's simply not true. Yes, I, and I talked about this earlier in the show. This reminds me in some ways of 
sort of the uh, a left. It's like the mayor fighting with a group on the right, a union on the right, political right, as opposed to when Rom came in, he was fighting with the Chicago Teachers Union, a group on the left. Uh, my advice that I would give the Fraternal Order Police, not that they would take any advice from me, nobody in the city of Chicago takes any advice from me, is to- Especially not them. Yeah, no, uh, is to, to follow the model set by the Chicago Teachers Union uh, in the Karen Lewis years and when they first took office, when she first took office and was dealing with Rom, always building an outreach to communities in the city of Chicago, always trying to find allies and build alliances so that when they went on strike, when the teachers did go on strike in 2012, they were not alone. In fact, back in those days, the Fraternal Order Police, believe it or not, they were supporting the Chicago teachers when they went on strike. The Firefighters Union was supporting the Chicago teachers when they went on strike. Nick Spazzato, alderman of the 36th Ward, good friend of this show, showed up in the show, was supporting uh, the Chicago Teachers Union. So you build out outreach, uh, and then you have some support when you confront a mayor. The difficulty from the, uh, for the Fraternal Order of Police, of course, is that they're completely estranged from the black community in the city. And I don't know how they can work a way around that. There's, I, do, I do not, the history of the relationship between police and the black community in this city has been strained, to put it mildly, since I moved to Chicago. I have seen nothing change in a really like proactive way that's improved those relationships. So it's a very difficult challenge that this fraternal order police uh, faces right now. And I just believe that before they deal uh, with Lori Lightfoot, they have to confront that in some real way and build some alliances outside of their own, uh, their own membership. The YouTube live stream chat is weighing in. Our new millennial friend, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> this is for you, Kyle. <laughs> he bought a book for you. That's insane. Kyle uh, says here, and Ben, oh, awesome, man. It looks like uh, your impression is getting over with the crowd, <laughs> finally. Which one? Which, which one? <laughs> Ed no, Burke. Oh. I'm Ed Burke. <laughs> Kyle says, Ben, Kind of spooky. Kyle says Ben's Burke voice is great. It sounds like Tom Waits' uh, singing voice says a lot about Burke. It's, I, I, any millennial that knows who Tom Waits is is all right by now, me. Now, what was it that uh, he was saying uh, to Lori Lightfoot last week? Uh, what did he say? He goes, uh, you got the gender wrong. <laughs> And what did Lori Lightfoot say? Sit down! <laughs> so there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Let me tell you something. Okay. Something that Casey Toner, our next guest. Nice. Casey Stengel, the great manager of the New York Yankees, one of your favorite managers. I love him. And Casey and the Sunshine Band, definitely Leah's favorite group of the 70s. Not Casey Kasem? Casey Kasem agrees with it, too. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We'll have Casey Toner talking tiffs in the suburbs when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. 
Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options options.com one more time chicago land cremation options.com it's chicagoland's adult entertainment playground it's the world famous admiral theater 3940 west lawrence avenue the admiral is homegrown from chicago and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city 15 minutes from the o'hare airport in downtown chicago loop voted chicago's best strip club the admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows the world famous admiral theater open every day from 7 p.m to 6 a.m 3940 west lawrence avenue for events showtime and other information visit admiralx.com must be 18 years of age or older to enter Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. I got Casey Toner sitting here, but before I bring him on, I have to give a shout out. Joanna Klonsky just sent me a text. Ben, could you mention this? Uh, okay, Joanna, I will. Uh, Brian Sleet, uh, who was a super cool guy, a publicist in the city uh, in the city of Chicago. He worked for Rod Sawyer for years, and then he went to work in private practice. He died of a heart attack about a year ago, and there's going to be a celebration uh, of his life and his legacy. Uh, fundraiser for the Bryant Sleet Memorial Fellowship for Leadership and Advocacy. Uh, I was raising money for uh, people uh, in the Chicago Public Schools, I guess, to go to college. Uh, time to celebrate Sleet. It's Thursday, June 13th. Oh, that's today at 5.30 at the Bureau Bar, 724 West Maxwell Street. 5.30 at the Bureau Bar. I could talk. I mean, Sue Garza comes in. We'll probably talk a little bit more about Brian Sleet and uh, his impact. Uh, he was an interesting guy. He sort of was one of the few people in the city of Chicago. I was talking about this with the Fraternal Order Police outreaching, uh, doing outreach to the black community. Uh, There's so few people who can just like go to the black community and go to the white community and go to the Hispanic community and sort of figure out how to deal with all these different communities and speak to people in a way that's not condescending and patronizing and folks can respect you. And Brian Sleep was one of those uh, rare uh, people who could do that. We were not always on the same side of the political issues, that for sure, is for sure. Uh, but I always appreciated the role he played in the city of Chicago, so a fundraiser in his honor uh, later today. All right, Casey Toner from the BGA. Thank you for coming here early. You t- got a divvy bike together, did you say? Oh, yeah. I just pedaled basically from the Willis Tower uh, down to the studio, about two miles. Got some exercise in, feeling good. So how are you going to get back? I'm going to get on a divvy and ride right back. And for anyone listening that's wondering or maybe worried, I'm looking at a bike helmet right there. He wore a helmet. He wore a helmet. Oh, you brought your helmet. Oh, yeah. I believe in safety. Yeah, me too. Hold on. Uh-oh, Hold Ben. On. He's going to show you his bike helmet. He's got a light on the back of his. <laughs> Wow. And on the front. Whoa, yeah. dude. Whoa. He can go coal mining. Yeah, I I, uh, I rode my bike uh, today as well, and um, it was windy out there, man. 
Um, anyway, all right, enough bike talk. Uh, Casey Toner is a reporter for the BGA. Casey, just explain to folks what the BGA is. Some of our listeners may not know, believe it or not. We're a uh, nonpartisan, nonprofit, um, investigative news outlet. Um, we also have a policy unit that does some lobbying in City Hall and in downstate. Uh, but our little editorial unit, we just... Um, you know, write and we publish investigative stories and we publish with our partners like the great Chicago Reader, uh, Chicago Public Radio, Chicago Sun-Times, um, you know, wh- whoever will take us pretty much. Yeah, no, and this particular article that you wrote was with my uh, beloved reader. And uh, all right, so uh, this article appealed to me on many levels. Uh, on, one, on one level, it was just interesting story uh, well, about lions, politics, and south suburbs, uh, but also it talked about how the TIF program and uh, is being used in the suburbs, quite similar to the way it's used in the city of Chicago. So, before we take the deep dive on the how TIFs work in the suburbs, and folks out there, you suburbanites who are listening, this is not just a Chicago problem. This is also a an issue that you're facing, whether you realize it or not. Most of you don't. Uh, Casey, talk a little bit about the subject of your uh, article, the main focus. Well, let's talk a little bit about the village of Lyons first. It's out in the west suburbs, and it's it's an area that, that John Cass has referred to as Madigan-Stan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's right near Bridgeview. It's uh, the district where Dan Lipinski is the congressman. Um, and the politics out there are, um, they're not as black and white as, as you might think. People there are pretty conservative. Um, but in this town, it's, it has been led by by this mayor by the name of Chris Getty. Mm-hmm. And Chris Getty's father, Ken Getty, um, in the early 2000s went to prison as part of a bid rigging scheme that he himself pulled off as mayor. And so what happened is his son came into power and then his son restored his dad back into public life. And his son has, um, you know, basically ran the small little suburb of 10,000 people with sort of a brand of Chicago style politics. How so? Um, well, one of the things he did was, uh, well, first of all, he's collected a ton of money. He's collected mm-hmm. in his campaign fund. He has more than $400,000. And for a small town <laughs> that's a mayor, lot of money, yeah. that's unheard of. Yeah. I mean, that, that's more than, um, you know, some state reps have. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he has done is he collects contributions from um, people that work for the village uh, and developers and, and so on and so forth. But one of the things we found that we wrote about at length is uh, under his control, the village of Lyons, the village of Lyons under his control gave a piece of property to a developer. They sold to the developer for less than they paid for it. Mm-hmm. The developer is one of his campaign contributors. The developer goes and he builds a house. And before the house is put on the market, he sells it back to the mayor. Um, and so that's just one of many, many, many <laughs> deals that's going on. I mean, the mayor put his dad on the payroll. Wait, tell me, so does the mayor live in the house now? The mayor and his wife live in the house okay, now. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, and yeah. it's something funny that, that we didn't really explore in the story because we only have so much time. Yeah. Um, when Dane Placco and I, Fox 32, went to confront the mayor, he literally ran away from us. And it was in a village board meeting where the mayor showed up, or, or we showed up to, to kind of confront the mayor. There, uh-huh. were two, there were two meetings. One was a finance committee me- meeting, and then one was the village board meeting. The finance committee meeting is perfect because it's in a very small room. Mm-hmm. And it's 
the room is perfect if you want to confront somebody. Um, but for whatever reason, that meeting was just canceled. You know, no announcement was made that the meeting was canceled. The water was set up there for the people to have the meeting, but this meeting was just canceled. Um, and so then Dane and I retreat to the village board for the 7 p.m. meeting. The meeting starts at seven o'clock. The mayor walks in, he's looking, you know, kind of shifty, um, a little bit sweaty. And, you know, 10 minutes after the meeting starts, it ends. And immediately Dane and I make a beeline mm-hmm. for uh, where, where the mayor is. And the mayor immediately makes a beeline for the exit. And I'm thinking to myself, we can catch this guy on the other side because he has to walk through the middle hallway <laughs> to get to his office. Yeah. And so Dane and I sprint out of the village board meeting. And then is, is there a camera crew following you? Oh, yes. There's okay. a camera crew following. It's very dramatic. Yeah. And so Dane and I sprint out of the village board meeting and we find him locked out of his own office in the hallway. Oh, that's embarrassing. In the hallway, locked up his own office, fumbling with the skis, trying to get inside. So finally, when we, when he, you know, kind of confront him, he sees the camera, he notices the camera, and then he turns around and flashes, you know, the million dollar smile. And then we start talking about this house and he's very combative. And then, you know, the interview ends. About now, let me ask later. you about that. I, have, is this the first time you have ever had an interview like that where you've what do they call that? Uh, Mike Wallace used to do that all the time on uh, 60 Minutes where you would confront somebody who didn't want to be interviewed. You would like, have to track them down. I, all the years I've been in this business, I've never had to do that. Of course, I'm not with a camera crew. I've just got my pen. Uh, is that the first time you've ever had a confrontation like that in an interview? It's the first time I think that it's ever been that combative. I mean, usually once I catch him, they'll talk to me. They might be angry. But throughout the interview, um, Mayor Getty was was combative. Um, just kind of arguing with me and um, kind of essentially doing like a fake news kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that, those are the vibes that I was picking up from him. Um, but what he said about the house, because we asked him specifically about the house, and I didn't yeah. want to engage in all these other kind of petty arguments. I wanted to talk about the house. And, you know, what he said to me is that, you know, this is a program, this guy is building houses in town, no one else is building houses in town, and I'm going to take advantage of that. Uh, and that's a quote we ended up using in the story. Yeah, and that's politics and lions. Now, is Lions, you said it's kind of conservative. Does, which way does it go in a national election? Does it go Republican? It's on the Southwest suburbs, just so people know this. So which way does it go in a national election? Is it uh, Republican or Democrat? I am not exactly sure about that, but I know that Lipinski is the congressman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a Democrat, but a lot of people have questions about, um, you know, what kind of Democrat is Dan Lipinski? Yeah, he's a conservative Democrat. Yes, he's probably yeah. the most extreme, extremely, this is me speaking, not Casey. He's uh, He was challenged from the left in his last uh, Democratic primary in 2018 by Marie Newman. Came very close to beating him. So, yes, he's uh, on, the I would say, the far right spectrum of the Democratic Party. And, and I think that there's something, too, about this area where there's a lot of suburbs, especially in, in Cook County, that used to be very conservative, that used to be these uh, Republican bastions, like mm-hmm. Chicago Heights, for example, in the far, far south suburbs, used to be this huge Republican territory. But something happened in the state of Illinois where being a Republican in Cook County became extremely unpopular. So there were a bunch of politicians that uh, basically threw off their elephant masks and put on the donkey masks and joined the Democratic Party. I'm not saying that's what happened here in Lyons, um, but I'm, I am saying is that the politics there are pretty fluid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they have, uh, and your story gets into this, 
uh, a TIF program as well in the in the town of Lyons. Now, you've this is not your first dance with the TIF program. I recall talking to you about TIF program. This is when you back in the days when you were a reporter for what newspaper? Were you? South Town. South Town. You and you were doing TIF stories that, about the South Suburbs as well back then, correct? Oh yeah, I and mean, at, at that time I called you on the phone because I needed advice because I, I was looking at this TIF district that involved this mall that was falling apart in the mm-hmm. South Suburbs, Lincoln Mall, and so I called you asking for advice. <laughs> just because I didn't quite know what I was talking about. And I don't remember what you told me, but I remember the story being pretty good. Yeah. And it was one of these things, this this TIF agreement left the village on the hook for this um, broken, busted mall that really fell apart during the Great Recession. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit different from what I'm seeing in Lyons, which is very different from other kind of TIF um, programs that I have seen in the Chicago area. All right. And here is the description of a TIF. Now, this is funny. Uh, uh, it, this is the difference, folks, between um, <laughs> a, a story written by a by-the-facts reporter uh, like Casey and uh, a more of opinionated guy. Uh, your definition is, quote, a common, albeit controversial financial tool that Chicago and many suburbs use to jumpstart development. I think there's... Uh, Nothing ac- inaccurate about that statement. I would agree by that statement. I, of course, would put my own little uh, spin on it, uh, talking about slush funds and uh, tax hikes, et cetera, uh, and uh, so forth. Uh, but uh, when, you d- when you introduce people to the concept of a TIF, do you feel compelled to like go take that deep dive, Casey, and then get lost in the definition, you know, the technicalities of how it worked? Or do you feel pretty confident that you could just stand back put a statement like that in and just move on with your story. And we talked about this kind of at length in our office when we're going over the story. How complicated do we want to make it? Because TIFs can be extremely complicated. I mean, there's a reason TIF attorneys are able to make so much money off it. The law is extremely complicated and there's all kinds of weird loopholes and ins and outs. Mm -hmm. Um, But for our purposes and for the sake of people seeing it and understanding this complicated concept, um, we tried to make it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a case that we felt this, this specific TIF case we felt could register with people because it was just slightly more ridiculous than other (laughs) TIF agreements that we've seen, you know, in the city and so forth. All right. So talk about the area where the TIF was uh, implemented. This is again, a Southwest suburban lions and TIFs originally everybody, just so you know this, when the law, when, when Illinois introduced the law back in the seventies or eighties, I can't remember when it was intended to, um, uh, underwrite development in areas that would blighted areas eradicate blight in areas that would otherwise not get development because it was too risky for a developer to go there because there's so many loopholes in the law now it can be applied anywhere so tell folks a little about the area in Ly- uh, in Lyons where they were going to impose this tip well Lyons is kind of a rough and tumble area to begin with I mean when you when you cross the border in the riverside you notice a difference um, you notice a difference. I mean, I would consider Lyons pretty blue collar and, you know, comparatively pretty poor. Um, but the area that they're looking to build, which is on the corner of Harlem and Ogden, is a high traffic corner. There are cars that pass by there every day. Mm-hmm. Um, tons of cars, tons of tons of traffic. And it is a place where you should be able to build on. Um, but on that corner is a, is a bank, this like dilapidated bank. And there's a couple other properties connected to it. And all the properties are owned by a developer who owns a grocery store across the street. Um, and, but this is the area in Lyons where 
the village, they haven't locked it in yet, but they're looking to create a TIF. Um, and they're kind of on the precipice of doing it right now. And uh, so what's the particular finagling that went on that you talk about in your article, very similar to what went down in the city of Chicago, uh, which I can get into later, where where the DePaul basketball arena, the Wintrust Arena is. But talk about what the city has done in terms of buying property uh, in the TIF district, uh, and then which would have an impact on the schools, et cetera. Well, the developer is a donor of the mayor. So developer, if you look at the election uh, contributions, the donors donated, I think, more than $20,000 to the mayor. And I was going through the agendas and the board minutes and kind of doing all the things I usually do when I I write a story about a town. Um, And I noticed that in December, the town bought these handful of properties on the corner for $10,000. And these are properties that are worth um, more than like several hundred thousand dollars. The village bought them for $10,000. So I started thinking to myself, why are they doing this? You know, what does this mean? Um, And finally, after putting in all these records requests and hounding the people and trying to get the records back, I got the records. And what the records showed is that what the village is trying to do is the village bought these properties because they're going to try to get a government exemption so they don't have to pay property taxes on them. Mm -hmm. And when you get a government (laughs) exemption, you zero out the assessment. Yes, you do. And the way TIFs work is the assessed value that stays with the TIF is when the, the TIF is locked into place. Yeah. So if there's a property in a TIF that's worth zero, any improvements to that property once a TIF is in place will stay in the development and can yeah. be used for development. So essentially what, what they're doing is they're juicing this TIF by transferring the, the property to the government, uh-huh. and then once the village gets the TIF in place, and once they get this government exemption that's going to zero that's going to put a zero on assessment for these handful of properties. They're going to sell it back to the developer for the uh-huh. same amount of money. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> you know, very likely, uh, you know, easily over the course of the TIF, like hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars will just flood in yeah. uh, automatically. All right. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I just got to pause, say, and talk, say a little something to the people in Alliance. I am never going to underestimate the intelligence of people in the Southwest suburbs. That's a pretty slick move, man. It's like straight out of Chicago. All right, folks, I'm just going to explain it. That same thing happened, by the way, in the city of Chicago with the Wintrust, where Wintrust is. What you do is, folks, so the way a TIF works is you freeze the level that people, that the taxing bodies can take out of a property for 23 years. And then all the additional property taxes of and above uh, that amount go to the TIF district. All right. So if this if the town of Lyons or the city of Chicago owns the property, it doesn't pay any taxes. Zero because it's tax exempt. I mean, the own, property owned by a municipality does not pay property taxes. Park district owns land, doesn't pay taxes. But water rec owns land. They don't pay taxes. Board of Education, they don't pay taxes because they're municipal entities or governmental entities. So if the government alliance buys the property, suddenly it's tax exempt. If they sell it to <laughs> if they sell it to the developer, he has to pay taxes, but all of his taxes will go to the TIF fund and all of his taxes will go help subsidize. So it would be like Casey, if you imagine this, you 
sold your garage to the uh, city of Chicago, let's say you live in Chicago, and they uh, sold it back to you, that meant all the property taxes you pay could go to fixing up the garage and then want to go to the school, so it's not a bad deal. So I want to give my hat, tip my hat to the people of Lyons. They figured this out. Uh, and you, uh, blew, you, you were the one, this is, uh, but this has not officially gone through yet, correct? No, because this can go to the board of review at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. There's going to be hearing on it where they're going to talk about whether they want to give the government exemption uh, to the village of Lyons on these properties. Um, and I, I've talked to the people at the board of review and the commissioner, the board of review commissioner that covers that district um, defeated one of the mayor's um, buddies mm-hmm. uh, for the race. So I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen at the end of the month, but I plan on covering it. Um, but, but the reason why all of this matters, mm-hmm. the reason why all of this matters is that those districts right now in their dilapidated or those buildings right now in their dilapidated conditions generated like $50,000 for local schools. Mm-hmm. And once this property gets redeveloped and you know, they're going to, I don't know what they're going to put on there, but once it gets redeveloped and there's like a little shopping center there, this area could be donating hundred, not donating, could be contributing hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars to schools. So ultimately, there are people that are affected, and in this case, they are school children. Yeah, no, and uh, so if they're in in some suburbs, the the leaders of the school board will negotiate with the leaders of the town to make sure that some money goes back to the school districts. Uh, I know this is happening. Believe it or not, there's a TIF proposal. I'm not making this up, Casey, in Kenilworth. Kenilworth is a northern suburb uh, to some of our geographically challenged listeners, which is one of the wealthiest suburbs in the state of Illinois. And they have a TIF proposal there for some land on Green Bay Road. And so right now, the new Trier School Board is sort of negotiating with Kenilworth. I don't know what's going to happen with that deal to make sure that some of the money goes uh, back to, uh, to the school board. So yeah, this is this is uh, an issue that affects people in the suburbs, not just the city of Chicago. My special emphasis is in the city of Chicago. Uh, Casey wrote about Lyons, small town government, uh, Chicago style politics is the headline in the, the Reader newspaper. Newspaper. Casey, talk about some of the other uh, stuff that BJ's been up to. I'm a big fan, as you know, of your fact-checking stories. And uh, it was the BGA that uh, introduced the world uh, to the comments that uh, Lori Lightfoot made regarding the Fraternal Order of Police uh, that was in the Sun-Times as well. Talk about the fact-checking story. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, my colleague, Kiana, um, I think she was watching Lori Lightfoot on WTTW. And... While she was watching it, she noticed this canard that came up where Lori um, essentially was repeating a rumor that she heard about officers standing down on Memorial Day or so something like that. I'm not exactly sure the exact context. Uh, but then we wrote a fact check, like, is it true? Is it false? And I believe we rated it false. And then when we did that, it published in the bright one and it became a thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then she up. has a press conference and then, you know, the FOB is talking about it. Second city cop is talking about it. Um, and it becomes a thing. So that's something that I feel as a reporter at the BJ that we can, you know, bring to the people that we can tell them, you know, whether their politicians are being honest or not. Yeah, no. And just to correct a dear friend of mine, Ken Davis, it wasn't WTTW that Kiana saw it. It was Ken Davis show. D what's the name of the Ken Davis show? Chicago newsroom. Chicago newsroom. Ken Davis. I'm always saying, that he shouldn't call it Chicago Newsroom because he's the host. He should call it the Ken Davis Show. And he listens to me about as much as Lori Lightfoot listens to me, all right? Uh, and uh, But they still call it Chicago Newsroom. So it was, a, it was a public access TV show. I get to give her credit. 
She was watching Ken Davis's show on Public Access TV. That's pretty impressive, huh? Well, we have to stay on top of these things or else they will just uh, disappear into the ether. Yeah, and uh, the BGAs, uh, these fact-checking stories, they're, they're absolutely down, uh, down the middle of the road. They do not play favors with the Republicans or the Democrats. Uh, Canada does a great job. She went after some of the, in the last gubernatorial race, she went after claims that Rauner uh, made regarding budgets and uh, uh, union contracts, et cetera, that were completely made up. And she went uh, after claims that J.B. Pritzker made that were exceedingly exaggerated about the opposition to some of his initiatives. So she plays it right straight, right down the middle. And she does a great job. I mean, she you know, does the research. She finds out what the claim is, and then she tries to find out what the source of the claim is. And then she goes to the source to see what the source says about the claim. And we really just try to get down to the truth. And at the end of the day, we get together and we talk about, you know, what, what does this mean? Um, and then we put out our fact, and, you know, the world takes notice of it. Now, when you, I'm just curious, when you got to this sentence uh, about talking about TIFs, a common, albeit controversial, financial tool that Chicago and many suburbs use to jumpstart development. How do, how do you guys figure out a way? Is that your language, or was it a group of people got together to figure out the most neutral way, uh, the most uh, neutral way of writing or just explaining it without antagonizing any side? How do you guys figure that one out? Uh, we went back and forth on it. Like, I think my description might have been like a little less generous at first. Um, but then we talked it over with, the, you know, my bosses and my bosses, um, you know, both whom are, are, are both beautiful writers. Um, we, we try to nail it down to something that was as concise as possible that people could read and that it could understand mm-hmm. uh, because or else people will just be lost. And the yeah. tiffs, this sounds like some law. I'm bored. And we don't want that. Yeah, but I, I guess the question I'm really getting at is to how to deal with a controversial issue or matter in a way that does not show any bias. Like, you, you don't want to show anything that resembles bias. I have this conversation with reporters all the time, Casey. It gets harder and harder these days because things have become more contentious than ever, particularly in the age of Trump. So is this something you wrestle with all the time, trying to eliminate anything that suggests that you have uh, an opinion one way or the other on a program? Not just TIFF, but anything. Uh, yes. I mean, I think that's something that we, we, we struggle with. I think all journalists struggle with it um, because the truth can take many different forms. Um, but the, the thing that I believe and what I think our organization believes broadly is that if we, if we show the facts at the end of the day, people can make up their minds. And um, a lot of times the facts are more unpleasant than what opinions can be. That is Casey Toner from the BGA, an investigative reporter. His story, Small Town Government, Chicago-style politics. It's in The Reader. You can find it at The Reader website. You can also find it at the BGA website as well. And uh, Casey, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Ben. All right, we've got Ed Maher sitting on deck, and he's got a mystery guest with him. Uh, We'll bring him on when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, 
as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicolas Fayette. Would you believe that it's important for the, the, to follow the facts? Uh, we believe that no one is above the law, including the President of the United States, and we believe that the President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up, in a cover-up, and that was the nature of the movie. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we'd like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Big thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, June 13th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. We got a union heavy hour ahead of us here. First, we welcome back union man Ed Maher, and it's the return of the 10th Ward Alderwoman herself, the one, the only, Sue Sedlowski-Garza. now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Casey Toner has left the building. BGA reporter Casey Toner has left the building. Sue Sadowski-Garza is on her way. I hope. Please, Sue, carry up. Get over here. In the studio with me is Ed Maher, the pride and joy of Local 150. We're going to bring Ed on. He's got a mystery guest uh, as well. Mystery guest. Oh, wow. Wow. 
mystery guest. Uh, but before we bring uh, Ed and his mystery guest on, what you got for me, D? I know you got an update. Oh, yeah, we got an update here. And uh, did you say, wait a minute, hold on. Did you say, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I did say it. Wait, yeah, did you say a mystery guest? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, that freaky music, man. Who oh, could the yeah. mystery guest be? I don't know. <laughs> Getting freaked out. Yeah, man, it's All scary. Right. We have an update here. One local, one national. First, the local. Okay, that music's freaking me out. All right, <laughs> the local. The alderman who replaced disgraced zoning committee chairman turned FBI mole Danny Solis of the 25th Ward is demanding an exhaustive review of all previous 25th mm. Ward permits and license requests. This comes from the one and only Fran the Woman Spielman at the Chicago Sun-Times. The request made by Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez of the 25th Ward was made at the rookie alderman second city council meeting just two weeks after an unprecedented racketeering and extortion indictment against disposed finance committee chairman Edward Burke of the 14th Ward revealed the fruits of Solis's two years of undercover work for the feds. Ben, what do you think? Oh, my God. My old friend Danny Solis, alderman of the 25th Ward, was wearing a wire for about three years. Ed, I don't know if you're following this story. He was wearing a wire uh, on Ed Burke, collecting information on Ed Burke. I don't know what Danny did uh, to get the feds to coerce him into wearing the wire. Generally, when someone was wearing a wire, it's they got caught. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're not like doing it out of the kindness of their heart. I would like to uh, investigate my old friend Ed Burke and you know betray him completely. Aww, that's I'm nice. sure there's a few people out there like that, but I don't know any. I don't know any. Every every movie I've ever seen, Ed, I've seen a ton of them about guys who wear wire. They get caught doing something they shouldn't do, and to avoid a longer prison sentence, they wear the wire. Uh, and maybe they come to believe it. What was that movie about the guy who wore the wire? And he was oh, it's a great movie from the 80s, I want to say. He, and he ended up becoming like a mobster himself. That sounds like a lot of movies. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I was like, I've seen that movie like two times. Anyway, so Danny Solis was wearing the wire uh, on Ed Burke, and he was up to no good. And now it's not clear, like, you know, did he do any proper screening of all the various uh, liquor licenses that he promised or approved or zoning permits? It's a real mess. And so this rookie alderman, uh, Byron Sixto Lopez, is coming in, is discovering, and I know this because I read in Fran's article, uh, that uh, like liquor applicants, businesses who've got liquor licenses are saying, hey, where's my liquor license? And he doesn't know anything about it. There's no paperwork. And so it's a real mess out there in the 25th Ward. That's what happened when your alderman is up to no good. And we have a national update, but I'm going to wait till Sue Garza gets here because I'd really like to hear her take on it as well. So we'll wait till Sue Garza gets here for the national update. Here's a tease. It involves 2020 presidential candidate Joe Biden. Oh, okay. I don't know what that could be. I look forward to uh, Sue's take on that. I'm going to ask uh, Ed a little later if we have time about the presidential race. But before I do, Ed, why don't you just briefly introduce our mystery guest? All right. Um, so... I've come in here usually on my own, and uh, Kim Ortiz filled in for me last time from Local 150, but this time I'm coming in with backup. Um, <laughs> and her, her, she doesn't work anywhere. She goes to school, but school <laughs> ended last week, so I she's see. freed up for the summer. She's in free agency right now, so I brought her in, and uh, she's an 8-year-old, brilliant, up-and-coming mind, uh, pride of the Wheatlands Elementary School, headed into third grade, uh, young Emma Maher. All right, Emma, welcome to Ooh. the show, all right? <laughs> Hi. 
<laughs> Thank you very much for showing up, Emma. I appreciate it. And uh, bring so, your kid to work there. I'm bring, a big fan of that. <laughs> bring your kid to. I've brought kids to work many times, and uh, we've had many kids in the studio. By the way, we had the uh, what was it, Stephen Smith, the West Virginia candidate oh, for governor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Emma, I'm telling you right now, uh, not put, putting the kid down, but uh, your big improvement over. The, Stephen Smith's kid was sitting in the corner You're playing a video. Putting the kid down. <laughs> When you have to start with, I'm not putting a kid down. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, Ben. I said terrible, but the kid was playing the video game. Ding, ding, ding. If I'd been at Chuck E. Cheese this weekend. Really glad I didn't bring her video. Uh, No, I didn't. I wouldn't. Oh, you threw the kid under the bus, Ben. Sorry about that, Steve. We're not backing you up on that one. Oh, God. I hope they don't use that against him when he's running for uh, governor. He's a very good candidate. All right. Anyway, enough of that stuff. Ed, what you got for me? I know you came in. Uh, There's a lot of stuff we want to talk about uh, going on in regarding labor news. Uh, But I guess the first thing we should talk about is the infrastructure bill that was passed just recently. City, uh, State of Illinois, you've been advocating. The first time you came on the show, where are my pictures? I still have them. You still have those? Yeah, man. You are the man, Ben. (laughs) Okay, hold on. Here we are. I assumed you were doodling on the back of those or, you know, (laughs) paper airplanes. There we go. Those are some quality taken photos, I (laughs) have to say. All right, so talk about this a little bit. Tell folks, I'm showing people in our, our camera up there, the bridges falling apart, infrastructure falling apart, the dire need for repairs throughout this, not, not only throughout the city of Chicago, but throughout the state of Illinois. Sure. Um, so earlier this winter, um, there was the, the failure of the Lakeshore Drive Bridge uh, just south of the Chicago River. It got closed for about 24 hours, totally snarled up traffic all over the city. And it drew attention to the, the poor infrastructure condition across the state. So in the state of Illinois, roads and bridges were previously graded by the American Society of Civil Engineers at a D. So this problem existed long before this one bridge failed. Mm-hmm. Um, but when that bridge failed, people all of a sudden were asking questions. Is this the only bridge? Are there other bridges that this could happen? And the answer, of course, is yes. I work in this world, Local 150. Our members work on roads and bridges. We know them more intricately than almost anyone. So we knew these that there were a lot of there were a lot of other bridges that were in similar condition. And we always are working on investment in infrastructure because the problem is instead of when you buy a car, you get oil changes, you get tune ups, things like that. If you bought a car, a really nice car, and didn't put any money into it for mm-hmm. Three or four years, sooner or later, the oil is going to be gone. The engine's going to seize up. You're going to be like, how did this happen? Because you didn't take care of it. And that's what we had been doing as a state for, for decades. So we've always been pushing for responsible investment. Uh, the, this is important infrastructure, and it costs money to maintain. So we were pushing for this, and in about two weeks ago, the General Assembly and the waning hours are actually in overtime of the, the legislative session. They passed the biggest infrastructure investment package in the, the state of Illinois history. It was a $45 billion six-year plan called uh, Build Illinois, and $33 billion of that was for transportation, whether it's roads, bridges, or the largest investment ever in transit. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of money coming into the RTA, CTA, Metra, as well as downstate transit systems, as well as alternative transportation like walking trails, bike paths, things like that. So Mm -hmm. it's really exciting. And the road and bridge part of it is funded by an increase in the gasoline tax, which increases in taxes are often unpopular. But in this case, it's about the most fair way that you can choose to pay for 
roads and bridges, and mm-hmm. the people who use them, who drive on them, pay for them. Uh, and so this is a revenue stream that's not going to go away at the end of six years. This money is going to be there for roads and bridges and transit for the foreseeable future. And it's exciting because one of the challenges that come with these every decade we come up with, we you know piece together a, a little capital bill with some revenue from here, some revenue from there. People who want to plan, say, a rebuild of I-290 or you know, a very large infrastructure project, it's hard to plan ahead because you don't know how much money is going to be available in five years. Mm-hmm. This takes care of a lot of that problem. And there is sort of predictable revenue, predictable money available for these projects. So I think that we're going to see across the state of Illinois a lot of infrastructure getting a lot safer, getting a lot easier to drive over. You won't be you know, playing so much um, kind of frogger <laughs> dodging these potholes. Yeah. And uh, people are going to be getting back to work. It's going to put a lot of people to work. That's the one thing about infrastructure investment. It's a problem that needs to be taken mm-hmm. care of. You can't just leave it alone and, and let these things crumble. It has to be fixed. And the bonus of that is when you fix it, it creates good-paying jobs for local workers. Yeah. So, and it also seems to be one of the uh, the few governor expenditures that seems to uh, be by have bipartisan support. Right. Uh, and I always take delight in this because there were some huge infrastructure bills under Republican governors before your time, uh, but Edgar Thompson and George Ryan, and uh, always had bipartisan support. Uh, it, and now in this particular case, $45 billion, a lot of money, and it, the primary funding source is the gas tax, you say, a hike in the gas tax. What was the reaction to that? You know, publicly, it was surprisingly um, surprisingly well taken. You know, the the or an increase in any gas tax or any tax is never extremely popular. Mm-hmm. But in years past, we had pulled this um, to see whether this was an acceptable way that people would agree to pay for infrastructure. And the, one of the biggest problems was that people asked, "Where's the money that's supposed to be going to it now?" You know, we feel like our our money we're paying taxes and it's getting used elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And it was true. There had been so many large sweeps of the road fund. I mean, under Bruce Rauner, there was uh, early in his early in his tenure, there was a, a five hundred million dollars sweep of the road fund. And so that was we at local one hundred and fifty, some other unions, and some uh, some partner organizations uh, pushed for the Illinois Safe Roads Amendment. I don't know if you remember that. A few years ago, it was an amendment to the Illinois Constitution that said, "Do you, uh, it was it was on the ballot. People had to vote on it. It was a referendum." And it said that uh, any transportation-generated revenue could only be spent on transportation. It was put on the ballot, and 80% of Illinois voters approved it. So with that, it's like, okay, the money that's been going into this is not going to get screwed around with Mm -hmm. anymore. It's going to go to what it's supposed to be used for. Um, But it doesn't change the fact that there's not enough money in there to do what we need to do. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we, we're going to need a little when bit more. When you say revenue. sweep of the road fund, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? S W E E P, is that what the word you're yeah, using? Yeah, just a general, uh, it's, it, you know, you could be sweeping the road fund. I like to say raiding the road fund. Roads and bridges cost a lot of money. The, the road fund, generally, compared to other, you know, mm-hmm. uh, allocations of money, are pretty large. So if you're looking for $50 million for something, and it's like, oh, where are we going to find $50 million? Oh, there, you know, it's it's a place where there are comparably large sums of money but at the end of the day with roads and bridges the numbers the the costs of of infrastructure are high compared to other things but 
it's not a, it's not really a cost. It's yeah. an investment. It's an investment we have to make. No, I, look, I know what you're talking about, and uh, I always say this. It, it reminds me of the lottery money in the 70s was supposed to go to education. That's how it was sold to people. And then when we still have to raise taxes for education, so many people go, what happened to the lottery money? We keep expanding gambling. We still need a lottery money. So I, I voted yes on that uh, initiative because, all right, we're going to uh, dedicate money for roads, bridges, public transportation, et cetera. I want to know that that's, this is the money so I can yeah. follow. It's a little bit more transparent as opposed to just kicking the money into a general pool of money, which the governor or whoever the governor is or the speaker or the Senate president then get together and distribute wherever they want. Right. And I think what happened, if I can't, if I remember correctly, is with the lottery is a little bit before my time, but it was supposed to. <laughs> Thanks, be, Ed. Sorry. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> uh, you're old. I'm younger than Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying, but a reoccurring the, theme of the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. Ben is old. Even Sue Garza coming in. She's younger than me, too. All right? don't, She's, feel, don't feel bad. When I sat down, Dennis said it was going to be a union-heavy uh, thing. I'm still taking that as a little bit of a jab. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dennis. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, <laughs> no friends in here. The... Um, the, the the lottery was supposed to be like a supplement for the education fund. And correct me if I'm wrong. I might be um, like slightly mistaken on this. But when they had this large extra pool of money, it was like, okay, well, that frees up some of the money that we were Absolutely, man. So yeah. It, it basically, yes. if you had, you know, if you were doubling the amount of money, you take all the money that was going to it. And it's like, well, the lottery's got that covered. So you're not increasing yeah. investment at all. You're just replacing it exactly and you're yeah i don't think is what anybody really had in mind no it's days. it's so in other words if you're really going to be transparent you want to understand exactly how your your tax dollars are going to be spent i mean it's really difficult with in a state of illinois ed we have an enormous budget so many needs but it, 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 if you're going to even have the pretense of transparency then you say okay if this money is dedicated for roads and bridges and transportation needs then that's what it's going to go for and we're going to have to worry about uh, schools or you know uh, money uh, for programs like environmental control, et cetera, will have to come from another source. Right. And that's what this was intended to do. And there was some initial uh, opposition to the Illinois Safe Roads Amendment uh, from government bodies that didn't like the idea that <laughs> there was going to be a lockbox created where they couldn't grab that money anymore. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, come out and, come out and be public about yeah. that opposition and say that you want to take the road fund and uh, see how the people now, like it. Now, one of the things, of course, uh, there's this notion that any this, a, a huge program like this is what they call pork, uh, and the, the Tribune and the Sun-Times, mainly the Tribune did a, a story breaking down of all the different projects uh, that um, uh, will be paid for. The, the, the state reps and the state senators have some discretion on how the money is going to be. We had Ricky Hendon here yesterday, a longtime state senator, and he was telling some old stories about uh, big public works projects in the past and how state senators got to determine it. Uh, how will the determination be made for in terms of crucial public works uh, projects that absolutely have to be needed will be left to the state senators, the, to the state reps, or to the, the, the governor's office? No, they're going to be going um, off of a system. I mean, there's always, in order to, to pass a, a plan like this, there's always generally in the legislative process a little bit of, um, you know, do you want to support this? Well, none of the money is going to my district. In order to support a, a tax increase, a lot of times legislatures will have to say, you know, in, in order to support this, I've got to see a little bit coming to my district. It's just, I think, part of the political process. But um, there's a performance-based planning system, which is kind of a new trend in planning over the last five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And the way that they go about this is 
for like a major piece of infrastructure. It's basically, uh, I, I wish I had uh, Mary Craighead from the Illinois Economic Policy Institute with me here. She explains this much better than I can. But it, it essentially sets out money that goes toward the maintenance of roads. So, mm-hmm. for example, again, to use a car analogy, it's, okay, on this car next year or two years from now, we're going to need this much money for an oil change, you know, and then we'll do another oil change. It's, it's basically finding a way to put a small amount of money into vital repairs or vital maintenance on roads and bridges to ensure that you don't have a much larger cost down the road. Now, in addition to doing that, that's just on the general maintenance, um, there are particular projects like the I-80 bridge over the Des Plaines River in Joliet that people in Joliet won't drive across anymore, and I can't blame them for doing for not driving across yeah, it. It's, it's dangerous. A, it's horrible, and I mean, we've flown we've flown our own drone underneath and seen some of the defects in this bridge, and it's terrifying. I think so, it's one of the pic- the pictures here, actually, is, or is I, that all Chicago? Stuff? I think these are these are all Chicago, I believe. But um, but yeah, that bridge out in Joliet is it it, it terrifies me, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that, to see, and and it's going to be a few years before that can actually get replaced because there was no money for planning, no money for engineering, no money for land acquisition. So now there's money and it's going to have to go to all those preliminary stages before um before you can um <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Before you can um really get to the actual construction of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about having the tollway take over the bridge and even the best case scenario in that situation I think they said was 5 or 6 years before they could, you know, deliver a finished bridge. So Infrastructure takes time, but we the state made the right move by getting the money in place. The money's in place. It's going to continue to be in place, and we can start to actually make big plans. Yeah, like I said, it's one of the few things that um, uh, Republicans and Democrats agree on, and it was one of the great failures of the last four years. Uh, For sure. It was it was held hostage. You know, yeah. Bruce Rauner kept saying, I want to do a Capitol bill, but only if dot, 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 yeah. only if this, only if that, only if I can you know, take away the wages of working people. It was never anything against businesses. It was always against uh, people with disabilities or the needy. You know, the people who who suffered under Bruce Rauner were the people that needed government help the most, and he would use that uh, use things like the road fund um, or a capital bill as hostage uh, or hold them hostage to try to get, um, you know, to, to just try to take a little bit off the back of ordinary working people. It no, was, he was trying to force concessions right. out of government from the Democrats that would weaken uh, the uh, union movement in Illinois. And uh, when I had my old show, before I was fired, uh, this was something I was hammering at. You know this, Ed, uh, <laughs> against I, I, I wanted a separation. Uh, I, I thought these union laws protecting people's right to collectively bargain are sacrosanct, in my humble opinion, and I should see. not be used to like uh, extort uh, Democrats into voting, you know, getting the Republicans to sign on for funding government. I just thought that was extortion uh, on the part of, of Bruce Rauner. Oh, did someone say Bruce Rauner? Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Okay. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. I'd yeah. almost forgotten about that. forgotten that. that. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, speaking of initiatives left over from uh, Bruce Rauner, I have a couple Supreme Court cases I want to talk about. One sure. would be the Janus update. We used to talk about that all the time. And it, it just does some seems like it doesn't have the, quite the impact that I thought it would have. But the other one is one I'm not aware of, not that familiar with, the Supreme recent Supreme Court edition, Right to Work, a loss. Talk a little bit about that one. Ed. Well, I mean, first let's talk about Janus. Um, the, for those who aren't familiar, Janus was a lawsuit that allowed union members, public sector union members, 
to go what's generally referred to as right to work, where you no longer have to pay the union anything, but the union has an obligation to represent you to provide representational services. So it's almost like saying, um, hey, you know, Comcast, uh, you shouldn't have to pay Comcast. It's right to watch. You want to watch your favorite shows, don't you? So you shouldn't have to pay them. <laughs> right have to, to watch. Keep, they have to keep delivering HBO yeah. and all these great channels. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. This, this concept doesn't work. It would be just, you know, torches and pitchforks in the street if, if it was anybody else but the union movement. So anyhow, Janice passes, and workers have the opportunity to now go to their unions and say, I don't want to pay anything. I'm going to pay nothing anymore. Uh, but you're going to continue to represent me and pay wages that in the construction industry are generally about 50% higher than non-union construction workers' wages. Um, union representation has value. We take a lot of pride in the representation we provide to our workers, but it costs money to do it. People have to be there to do it. Um, and if nobody is, is, if somebody is going to say, I don't want to pay anything toward that, somebody else, the workers on either side of them are you know, subsidizing that representation for them. And that's not fair. It's not something that we're into. So we told our members... If this is something that you want to do, um, you know, we're going to publish your names in our newspaper because people have to, uh, you know, the dues-paying members have a right to know who they're subsidizing. It's only fair. And if there are a couple of people in in a certain bargaining unit that go this route, we're just going to walk away from you. We're not going to represent you. So that's what we did in Naperville. We did it in Winnebago County. Um, There were a small number of people who did it, but in, in a group like Naperville where we had, I think, seven members in this group, Two of them said, we're going to opt out. We're close to retirement. We want to save a little money before oh, we retire. Get close to retirement. Right? And it's like, okay. <laughs> Good you know? God. So we had a meeting with the other people in that unit and just said, this is the deal. We're, we're not in the business of providing our services for free. You're getting better representation from us than you could get almost anywhere else. It's worth the money. Man, cheap believe. is cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and, close to retirement. And, that. Yeah, so we, we had meetings with all of our public yeah. uh, bargaining groups and just said, hey, if you don't want to pay then you get what you pay for, nothing. Mm-hmm. We're going to disinterest your group. You're not going to have a union contract anymore. And if you think your employer is just going to give you these wages, these benefits, and these protections at work because they like you, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to remember what a union was for. You're going to miss us when we're gone, Yeah, Ben. And uh, so how many people opted out? Um, I think we had a total of about maybe two dozen, maybe two dozen out of about 3,000, mm-hmm. a little bit over 3,000 public employees. And it, it's, it, it was initially, there were a few that's people. It's like 1%. I'm not great at math, okay? I'm no damn biz, but I think that's like about 1%. Am I it's right? a little bit less than 1%. Okay. Right? <laughs> Show me up with that one. Oh, Ben, you know, I'm good at math. Oh, let me get my calculator. Um, <laughs> All right. But, uh, so, yeah. Then, like... Yeah, and then the other, uh, the other one that you're talking about just happened earlier this week. Um, so states like Illinois can't pass a right to work or haven't passed a right to work law, let's say, because... Um, right to work is a political ploy. It's a Republican ploy. It doesn't happen in Democratic states. It's a Republican way to try to weaken the union movement because the union movement nationally funds the Democratic Party more than the Republican Party. Ed, you so, sound like a column written by me. But yeah. go on. Well, I, re- I read every single one of them. <laughs> it ben. sounds like something I would write, but go ahead. Yeah. The voice inside your head. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in states where um, you have a you know a Democratic-led legislature, a Democrat in the governor's mansion. You can't get these right-to-work laws yeah. passed, and it drives Republicans insane. Mm-hmm. So they came up with a little nefarious plan called local right-to-work, something yeah. that Bruce Rauner was huge on in his um, failed turnaround agenda. Yeah. So basically the way that this goes is I'm a forest preserve, or I'm a city, or I'm a county, or I'm a village. I want to pass my own right-to-work law that says that union members don't have to pay 
for to be you know pay to be a part of their union and um i mean if you think about this if you had a right to work town next to a non-right to work town and someone's building a, a road from you know that crosses into both of those yes towns, mm-hmm. the city's got to figure out i've got to take dues out of this person's paycheck for this amount of time but not this amount of time it's insane and it's just meant to kind of create chaos so Lincolnshire, the village of Lincolnshire, passed a local right-to-work ordinance. I think the mayor had uh, had some ties with Bruce Rauner, so mm-hmm. she was the first kind of poster child to go out and do this. And we, we came to the meeting and said the National Labor Relations Act enables uh, the passage of right-to-work laws to states and territories. It's very, very clear within the federal law. It says states, it says territories. Lincolnshire is neither of those. So they uh, they passed it. We took them to court along with a couple of other unions. It was Operating Engineers Local 150, Operating Engineers Local 399, the Regional Council of Carpenters, and the Labor's District Council. Four unions. We won in federal court. They appealed. We won in appellate court, uh, and they appealed because they wanted to take this to the Supreme Court. The reason they wanted to do this was because— They being uh, Lincolnshire— well, it was Lincolnshire, but they were given free legal representation by the Liberty Justice Center, which is the lawyers that are a wing of the Illinois Policy Free, Institute. as in F-R-E-E? As yeah. In they, you don't have to pay for it? Yeah, it was pro bono legal service from the Liberty Justice Center because they were just pawns in this whole this whole political game. Li- uh, Lincolnshire was a pawn. For That's, sure. Mm-hmm. It was just, hey, we need somebody to pass this because a couple of years earlier in Kentucky, they had done the same thing on a countywide. They did county-by-county right-to-work laws. And mm-hmm. I think something like 11 counties in Kentucky passed right-to-work laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, unions out there in the AFL-CIO sued, and it went, to, um, it went to federal court. It got knocked down. It went to appeals court, and the appeals court upheld it, said that they could do it. So essentially, what it takes to get to the Supreme Court is when two circuits disagree on something, yeah. if there's a circuit split. So the Sixth Circuit, which oversees Kentucky, said, this is fine. Seventh Circuit, which oversees Lincolnshire, said, no way. So now and, it goes to the Supreme Yeah, mm-hmm. so the, the Illinois Policy Institute, Liberty Justice Centers of the world are like, hey, we're going to the Supreme Court because it's stacked with people who hate unions yeah. now. This is our chance to get anything done, no matter what the National Labor Relations Act says. We're going to get it done. Here's our opportunity. It's mm-hmm. going on with all kinds of issues right yeah. now. Um, and uh, basically, it was set to go. They filed for cert to go to the Supreme Court. Um, but early in his tenure, J.B. Pritzker, with his uh, sponsors um, in the House, Lance Yednock, throw out to my man Lance, who is a local 150 member and also a state representative. And in the Senate, Ram, Ram from uh, SEIU. Yeah, Ram Valam sitting in that chair yeah. not too long ago. These two, he was the chief sponsor in the Senate. So mm-hmm. a union member in the House, a union member in the Senate, and Governor Pritzker got it done where um, – they banned local right-to-work laws in the state of mm-hmm. Illinois. That made this point moot. It made the Lincolnshire case moot because under state law, they no longer could have it. So the Supreme Court just this Monday responded, we're sending this Lincolnshire case back to the Seventh Circuit with instructions to dismiss. There's no longer a circuit split. There's no need to take this to the Supreme Court. So sadly, what I would call this is just dodging a bullet for labor because if it went to the Supreme Court, I mean, we believed that our case was correct and mm-hmm. we were right in our in our uh, and justified in our opinion. But you go to the Supreme Court with anything, you're rolling the dice. Yeah. They've proven in in a few decisions, including Janice, that um, there's not a whole hell of a lot of logic in what they're in what they're deciding. It's yeah. it's politics. No, and uh, it, this is all really the chess game that's going on with union laws right now and work and and right to collectively bargain laws. Um, and what Ed is saying is no joke. This is a political battle. Um, this is me speaking, Ed. Uh, I, 
this is, I'm going to get on my high horse here. Sue Garza, he knows what I'm about to say. It's a political battle. And uh, so the, the, the faction of this political battle that wants to strengthen, essentially strengthen the Republican Party, is trying to knock out unions because unions, by and large, support Democrats. Why? Because Democrats, by and large, support unions. They come from sort of the same source. And when, when Democrats do it and when unions do it, it's sort of saying, oh, something bad. It's like bossism. It's like political inside. It's corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. But when large business interests do it, and have their lawyers lined up. Oh, it's like a liberty. It's a freedom. It's I, a I, right. I can't even use those two words. Liberty and freedom are now, they've been you know, co-opted. They're co-opted by people who want to destroy unions so that uh, Republicans will have more of a political advantage. That's what it's going on. Folks, that's what it is. It's like a political chess game. And so, yes, yeah, so now unions have been forced uh, in the last 10 years just constantly on the defensive, constantly trying to counterattack with their own legal strategies. And uh, as far as unions go, we are pretty lucky in the state of Illinois because we got rid of Router, who is the biggest anti-union governor probably in the, the country. I, I'm not quite sure I could say that, Ed. I've got to think it through. But one of the, the – the, 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 he was behind Janice. Um, so for the moment, anyway, it seems as though at least uh, workers here in the state of Illinois have some rights. Yeah, and we're not we're not pushing a, a a case into a very dangerous Supreme Court at this time. Maybe it happens somewhere else. Maybe they can seed another lawsuit, lose it, lose it, lose it, and you know appeal it all the way to the Supreme Court, which is the plan. You yeah. want to lose it, you want to lose it, you want to lose it, you want to go to the Supreme Court. Um, Maybe they'll find another place to do it, but it's not going to be Illinois. And I'll just say this to all my listeners out there. There are consequences when you don't vote in an election, and there's consequences when you fall prey to some silly thing that Donald John Trump tells you because he's the man who put these two judges on the Supreme Court, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, who will rule against the unions time after time after time. They're both pretty young and healthy, unfortunately, I think. Yes. Um, anyway, all right, that's Ed Maher. I'm Ben Jarofsky. We've got Sue Sedlowski-Garza. Uh, sitting on deck. We're going to bring her on when we return. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash Writers. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. 
You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends... And enjoy the rest of the show. More commercials featuring me. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And it's Ben Jarofsky's favorite furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics, Guys, it's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you. And go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway. Once again, that is 6241 North Broadway. A fantastic place. Go check it out. It's Green Element Resale. Go and save yourself a bunch of jingle jangle. A bunch of jingle jangle money. <laughs> now back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, we are indeed live. Ed Maher has left the studio. Ed Maher has left the studio. But guess who's here? Sue Sadlowski Garza, the pride and joy of the 10th Ward, the pride and joy of Hegwish, pride and joy of the Chicago City Council, 10th Ward Alder Woman. Don't call her an Alder Man. She's an Alder Woman. She's sitting right here. Uh, she brought her gavel. We'll talk about that a oh. little later. Cool. <laughs> she's now oh, a chair. Is. She's got a gavel, man. She gets to hold the gavel. Before we bring on, so you got an update for me? Absolutely. Two updates here, both in the national news. First, to follow up on, well, no one's favorite, White House aide and Donald Trump goon, Kellyanne Conway. Sue loves Kellyanne Conway. Oh, really? (laughs) I never knew. She didn't either. The House Oversight Committee has invited White House aide Kellyanne Conway to a hearing next Mm. week on her repeated violations of the Hatch Act. The Office of Special Counsel, Mm -hmm. a government watchdog agency, not Robert Mueller's Mueller's deal, said today Conway has been a repeat offender violating the Hatch Act, which is meant to keep certain government functions nonpartisan. The agency, headed by a Trump nominee, said it has never before had to issue multiple warnings about Hatch Act violations to an administration. Yeah, we talked about this before, and uh, I, I don't know why you would stop with Kellyanne Conway. The entire White House has become a political operation. And I was talking about this earlier. I have issues with, in general, uh, the way press operations are done by government. I've been banging my head against this wall for years and years and years when press operatives act more as though they're protecting the interest of, let's say, a governor or a mayor or a president, and they're not about disseminating public information, which is really what the taxpayers are paying them for. But Trump takes it to an end. I, I, I came to the decision right here in this show, Sue Sedlowski Garza, that Donald Trump's press corps was even more biased in protecting Trump than Rahm Emanuel's press corps here in the city of Chicago mm. was for him. How about that? It's By like, far. Yeah. I have to agree with that. Uh, Absolutely. Take a chill pill, man. Oh, sorry. 
Rob, take a chill pill, man. So anyway, so that's what's going on with that hatch act thing. All right. Now it's next update. I'm going to go around the table and ask everybody their thoughts here. Uh, and baby boomers, our next update may be a sign that times are a-changing. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been criticized about this before. We went through touchy-feely gate. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Remember that? That was about a month ago. Uh-huh. We were discussing Joe Biden's excessive and odd shoulder touching and hair sniffing of female politicians. <laughs> well, now, all right, we're on to the next here. Now. Now Biden is being criticized <laughs> for something new. We're going to call this questionable comment gate. Okay. Oh, okay. Like I said, we'll go around the uh, table here and ask everybody. Biden is now being criticized for frequently using uh, a statement here. Uh, a lady named Liz Goodwin posted on Twitter exactly what it is. Liz tweets, Joe Biden meets a voter's granddaughter in an Iowa coffee shop and asks her age. She says 13. He addresses her brothers and says, you've got one job here. Keep the guys away from your sister. <laughs> Sue Sedlowski, guys, your thought, or- big deal. What's your thought? Now, this is a generational thing. I could tell you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a generational thing, Sue Sedlowski Garza. You and I are the I'm same generation. We know boys were supposed to watch out for their yes. sisters. Um, I, you know, it's it's getting to the uh, a bit ridiculous comment gate. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably up, locked up because you know comments. I, I don't find anything wrong with that comment. It is a generational thing. Um, I think you know, not in today's generation. Women are more powerful. They were looked at as kind of like weak and they needed their brothers to protect them. I protected my brother, Yeah. okay? So, I mean, it's I, it, it's crazy. It, That's, but I, listen, it's a generational thing. You and I, like I say, we're the same generation. We're gonna get into that. We're ba- baby boomers and proud of it. Uh, but that kind of comment, yeah. I, it's like, it doesn't, really trigger anything with us you know what i mean but i know my daughters and your daughters would not be happy with that comment Uh, you know what's really kind of crazy though is and actually i have julio meramantes with me today from um he works in my office and you know maybe he can give a comment in because he does have uh, a little sister i don't i'm not offended by that and i think my katie's the only daughter i have three boys one girl Mm -hmm. and they're her brothers do kind of look after her in a loving way but i don't think they've ever looked at her like she's weak or can't take care of herself but you know um they'd certainly come to her aid if if they needed to right um so i personally don't have a problem with that but i know that a lot of people in my age group probably would in that view of a very patriarchal kind of concept of family in that you know like kind of what you mentioned in that, you know, women can take care of themselves. They don't need a, a brother to, to you know, overlook that process and that women can stand up for themselves, especially in this day and age. So yeah. I personally don't have a problem with it, but I can see a lot of people my age. How old are you? 28 years old. Oh, my God, it's so young. I, but you know what? <laughs> but it would be really cool if the 13-year-old said, uh, I don't need my brother to take care of me. Cause I know boxing or something right. like that. I'll pop right. them upside the head. You know? But you know, I think you know, in today's world, with all the problems that we have and all the issues that are coming out of the White House, I, you know, that's reaching now. I, oh. I, I you know, so you are reaching. preaching to the choir now. I, uh, but you know, it's a funny thing because there's the movie The Great Santini. I don't know if you ever saw that movie back in the day, but uh, the father told the boy, "You got to look out for your sister." And mm-hmm. when he, the boy got into, a, had to get into a fight to protect her, but she also protected him. I don't know. It's, just, 
I'm not tripping on that one, D. I'll be All honest. Right, with so you. the Ben Jarofsky show has decided. <laughs> Sue, where's that gavel? <laughs> no big deal. All right. I like that one. That's excellent, D. Yeah. No, he's an old guy. Hey, Biden's even older than I am. I didn't know that was possible. All right. Sue Holy said, Lord. Yeah, that's I, old. I did not know that was possible. Sue Sedlowski Garza is the older woman of the 10th Ward, which is that corner of Chicago, as I always tell people when Sue comes on the show, that goes way down under Lake Michigan, touches, kisses. <laughs> The state of Indiana, Hoosier land, and uh, is uh, where a lot of steel um, industry was back in the day. But before I get into the talk about politics, et cetera, and so forth, Sue, uh, this is amazing coincidence. You're coming on the show uh, today. Today is almost the 40th anniversary of Disco Demolition Night. I was Dexter, there. And she was there. I here, was there. Here she is <laughs> I right didn't here. Know that. She's riding on the, here's a picture in the Wait, Tribune. Actually, that, the, dang, Sue, that. smoking a joint. God, no. Whoa. <laughs> dang, girl. Dang. <laughs> Here's a picture. Oh my God! I was there. I was there. Yeah, I, I was there. <laughs> no, this girl has glasses on. It's not me, that. but this guy. This looks like my brother right here. <laughs> Your crazy brother. Oh. He wasn't protecting you because he was running on the field. He was running the bases with his uh, t-shirt off on fire. So, yeah, that was really something. I mean, they had to cancel the second game of a doubleheader because. Um, uh, Vec, what was his Mike, name? Well, it was Bill Vec was Bill the owner. Vec Mike was, Vec was the son. He, he started yeah. to chant, "Back to your seats!" Yeah, back to your seats. I mean, he was trying his darndest to get people to get off the field, and it did get to be at the end. After about an hour of a of a riot going on, they were tearing up uh, the bases and just somebody had a sheet and they were flipping people up in the sheet. It was. I really, I never went to the, down to the field. I stayed in my seat. Um, you didn't. All right. So just for some of our younger listeners don't know this, uh, back in 1979, a DJ Steve Steve Dahl uh, organized a rebellion against disco music. The so Bee Gees, it, kill it, the Bee Gees. It, disco sucks. Yeah, and I was completely on the other side. Sue and I have talked about every time I see Sue, we talk about this. I was a disco guy. I loved disco, and so I was against Steve Dahl's anti-disco movement. I was Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. So you didn't like the disco. I do now. Yes, yeah, I do now. I really do. I do now. Yeah. But um, no, it, it was 90. If you brought a disco record to add to the dumpster, it was 97 cents to get into the ball game. Yeah. And it was a double header with Detroit. Very good. Mm -hmm. And uh, they never expected the crowd that they got. But I mean, Steve Dahl was huge. It was Steve Dahl and the insane Coho Lips. Wow, what a memory you got there, Sue. So yeah, so that guy, you're, obviously, you were, I don't, well, I shouldn't say this, that is. Uh, I was 17, I think. Were you a sports fan? Were you a White Sox fan? Had you ever been to a White Sox game? So it was. Yes, my my father, all my father had like 30 games. You know, he bought the, like, four seats of 30 games. We went to the White Sox. I was at the last game of the old field. I was at the first game of the new field. Um, I was there when Carlton Fisk threw his, you know, caught his last game. So uh, Raul and my three boys, they go to games. So yeah, Sox fan to the death. Yeah. Uh, so your thoughts on the Cubs? I'm a South Sider, you know? It's okay, I, you could just totally it's a denigrate it's a big, them. You're not running a, for mayor. No, it's a, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I got caught up in the hype when they were in the World Series. I really did. Uh -huh. uh, my son worked for them and uh, they pay shit. By, they pay crap, by the way. <laughs> you can swear it's um, a podcast. Oh, that's right. It's a podcast. Um, yeah, my son worked for them. He was the guy who managed, uh, what, what's the, Clark, the, Clark, mascot. Clark, the mascot? Oh, okay. Um, he's got 
the ring, the whole bit, but uh, I got caught up in the hype, and it was really exciting to see a Chicago team go and win the World Series. Um, I'm not, I've never been a Cub fan. Um, I'm not a someone who like hates the Cubs or anything like that. My future son-in-law eats, sleeps, and breathes the Cubs. So you have to deal with that. I, I, uh, I'm, I root for both teams. I'm really having a hard time uh, uh, maintaining what uh, my Cub allegiance because the the ownership is so overtly pro Republican. They oh. allow a fundraiser for Donald Trump. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're operating a sports franchise in the most uh, democratic city or one of the most democratic cities. Show a little common sense for crying out loud. Well, that's, that's and I'll tell you what else is a problem. You know, this, a, a, a baseball game used to be a family-friendly event. Mm-hmm. We took, it was my whole family, all four of my kids, my two grandkids, first time we went to a Sox game about three weeks ago. I cannot believe the amount of money that it cost to go to a ball game. It's people got to mortgage their home. I mean, it's come on. These people are making millions of dollars and it's all working class people and they're paying $13 for a stupid hot dog. It's that's wrong on every level. That's not right. Yeah, no, it's it's outrageously expensive. And uh, so I'm pretty much I I haven't been to a Cubs game in many, many years. I go to Sox games. It's easier to get into. But uh, all right, let's get down to business, Sue Sadlowski. Garza, when you. Uh, you were elected for the first time in 2015. This is how life changes. Uh, you barely edged out Mayor Rahm's uh, ally in the 10th Ward, uh, John Pope, and uh, you came into office and it was sort of a hostile mayor who uh, did not treat you with a tremendous amount of respect. Here we are, fast forward, four years later, you somehow survived that four years with Mayor Rahm, yeah. and uh, there's a new mayor. Things are a little different. <sighs> Things are not just a little different. Things are different to the point of it's a whole different world. Um, literally, I went out from the basement to the penthouse. I mean, that's I'm, this is an analogy. Um, I it was no, it wasn't a secret that you know I was Chicago Teachers Union. He was Rahm Emanuel. Fifty school closings, mental health facilities, fighting for social justice. Got a great picture of me blocking the elevators, getting arrested you know, before I was alderman, but um, it was a really rough four years for me. I'm not gonna lie, it really was. And it was a really different world um, from where I came from because, you know, solidarity forever, shoulder to shoulder, it was very lonely. And now it's, I feel for the first time ever, since Harold Washington maybe, that we're all in the same boat rowing up the same stream. I, you know, it's it's such a different feel. All right, well, let's talk about it, uh, Sue, in a couple ways. Let's start with the symbol, the symbolic way. First meeting, Ed Burke, 14th Ward, stands up uh, and tries to chastise Lori Lightfoot on the use of gender uh, in some kind of city ordinance, and she smacks him down. And then everybody in the press corps is like, dang, It was whoa. like Game of Thrones, man. <laughs> Yeah. Like off with the head. Uh, so what were you thinking when you watched it? Uh, you know what? It was, I think it was a, a, a great move on her part because she set the tone, right? Yeah. And it was, you know, don't screw with me. And it was, for me, it was him trying to be relevant on, a, on an issue that didn't really matter at all, right? It should have said they instead of he. And she exerted um, her knowledge and she basically cut him off at the knees and told him to sit down and he did. And the place went ape. Yeah. 
So it, it was um, it was a little uncomfortable, to be honest, but it was badass. <laughs> well, when you say it was a little uncomfortable, you got elected, no help whatsoever from the Ed Burks of the Chicago no. Democratic Party. Uh, but soon after you were elected, Ed Burke made a point of showing up to your fundraiser. I remember writing he about did. this. He made a point. I, I'm not quite sure what he was trying to do when he did that, but he made a point of coming to your fundraiser. Talk about well, that. Well, you know what? To his credit, he went to every new alderman's fundraiser. And I mean, that's the right thing to do. I think that out of respect, you're new. He's the chairman. You know, he basically ran the place. Let's face it. And he showed up to just say welcome. And that was my first fundraiser ever. I was elected in May. That was in December, I believe. So he of did. 2015. Yeah. yeah. He came to, he went to everyone's. Um, so I think it was just kind of out of respect to like welcome. Now, how did he treat you? Ron was always hostile Fabulous. to you. He did treat you. Fabulous. I, yes. He was a gentleman. If I asked him a question, he helped me. Um, interesting. I, no one knows Chicago history like this man. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I mean that. I, he, I said, man, you should write a book. He said, I did. <laughs> so, you know, sorry, sorry, I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. but, you know, no, I'm not kidding. It, to his credit, he is a true Chicago historian. Um, We'll see if he's made some bad choices or not. Now, had he not been indicted or had he not had that criminal complaint, do you think uh, he'd still be the finance chair even under Lori Lightfoot? No. Even without the indictment, she would have moved against him. Well, Rom took him out of finance before he left. So. No, that was because of the indictment. Oh, correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, who knows? I, I don't know. I, th I mean, she's really making some serious like boss moves. Um, today they privatized our uh, workman's compensation. You know, they took it out of city council and gave it to a private company. So, you know. Wow. She had the right to do that unilateral. I missed that because I've been in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Day. No, it just it just came out. I hope it just came out. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Breaking news from Sue Gard. Oops. Wow. Uh, I hope it did. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I did not know so, that. I know she talked about doing that. I yeah, know. she did. And, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the whole draft of how this is going to work. But uh, there's been a, an egregious amount of mismanagement there, right? I mean, I think the number that we had was like $98 million yeah. a year cost us. And there's some people that have been on this stuff for like 16 years. And they only work for the city for two years. But, you know, that counts towards your pension, yeah. right? So yeah. you work two years, you're on it for 16, and then you retire after 20. I mean, I, look, workman's compensation is a tool that needs to be used for workers that are hurt on the job. Absolutely, 100%. Does there have to be some kind of oversight? Absolutely, 100%. So we'll see. And the other news for you is that uh, you're now a chair of a committee. And <laughs> yeah. I saw you on inauguration day. Uh, Maya and I were hanging around, and there you were, and Raul was right after the speech. Uh, <laughs> and you were, can you believe it? I'm a chair of a committee. How did I'm that happen? I'm so proud. I'm so humbled, and I am so proud. There's no one in that body that knows labor like me no one i can say that with 100 percent sincerity um i grew up i was born to do this talk this about was, it tell people our, our millennial listeners don't know this stuff uh, right so i was born to do this my dad was a labor leader in the 60s 70s 80s he sat on the labor board for 23 years <clears throat> i i know this stuff there i you know i've stood up for workers my whole life because that's what i was taught right um, and I'm very proud that the mayor 
has chosen me to lead the way. Um, her values are a lot like mine in, in, on a lot of issues. Are we going to differ on things? Sure. We're human, right? Just like you and I. You like dis- You liked disco. I did. <laughs> But, but now you've come around. I've come around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, I think we're going to be good. You know, the thing that's so different about this administration is it's collaborative. It's so collaborative. I'm sitting around the table with corporate counsel and hotel workers and people from the Chicago Fed and the mayors. I mean, we're collaborating. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Isn't that what democracy is? You listen to everybody and you come to an agreement, right? So I'm excited. I, I'm just I'm excited and humbled and I just want to do a good job. One of the things that's crazy was my first ever workforce development. I had a subject matter hearing on Monday. It was one year to the day my dad died. You want to t- he was looking down at me, right? And I kicked ass. It was good. It was what five hours long, right? It was good, but and I did have a gavel. Yeah, no, that's why I was teasing. She got a gavel because she's a chair. Right? I wish you brought one here. I'm gonna tell you, I'll folks, bring one next time. Uh, when I moved to Chicago, Ed Sedlowski, uh, Sue's dad, was this legendary uh, force, and it it is so bizarre how things change. Mm. Uh, he was a dissident member of the Steel Workers Union, and uh, Rose tried to re- led a rebellion against uh, the entrenched authority. Uh, and he, as such, he was sort of tied in with all like the outsiders in the whole universe who were battling the <laughs> powers yeah. that be in anti-war movement, civil rights movement, independence in the city council. There were so few people in positions of power, Sue, you know this. Well, yeah, and you know the thing that was so crazy, and you know, I, I, it was like in the 60s, he ran on a ticket, you got this Polish guy running with a Latino, a black guy, a woman, in 1966, yeah. I mean, it was like this diverse ticket of steel workers fight back. And that was unheard of mm-hmm. back then, you know? And that's how I grew up, though, in a house of many different colors and many different people. And um, my dad, it, it's crazy, you know, Ed that was on before me had a shirt that said fight back. Mm-hmm. The, the motto for what my dad did was steel workers fight back. And for people that don't know, you know, back in the day, the suits at the table made all the decisions on, on the rank and file's contract. You, rank and file never had a say. Well, that's what one of the things that they fought for was like, hey, we need to ratify our contract. We need to see the contract because we're the one in the trenches. We're the ones that are fighting back. This is our working conditions, blah, blah, blah. And they won that. And now from California to New York, rank and file vote on their contract because of the Steelworkers Fight Back movement. And you know that's pretty freaking amazing. My father changed the way the labor they, he changed the labor movement. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm and proud now, of it. And now you're uh, the chair of the workforce committee. Uh, the first there was a story in the paper day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, your budget was cut. Did they restore the money for the budget? Not yet. Come on, Lori. Come on, Lori. Well, I I don't. You know what? I we we spoke and we're they're working on it. Um, I made a comment that when you shake hands with somebody and you there people make mistakes 100% I do every day yeah. but uh when you shake someone's hand and you give them their word that it'll be fixed all we got in this is our word 
if you go back on your word, then you know what? I'm done with you. And I, it's not coming from, people make mistakes. That's all, that's it. I, 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 I believe with 99.9% that it'll be fixed and we'll be okay. All right, well, um, that is Sue Sedlowski, Garza and Ben Jarowski. Come back, we'll talk about some of the issues that Sue will be dealing with as chair of the Workforce Committee. We'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. All right, everybody. Uh, hey, uh, did you guys know this? Uh, did you know Ben Jarofsky loves candles? Did you know that, Sue? No. You didn't? Well, I didn't know it either, Sue. Oh, yeah, right. You're about to find out here. Burn, baby, burn. After five years in Andersonville, Murray and White have made the difficult decision to close their doors, but everything in the store is on sale. Notable sale items. Now, listen how excited oh, Ben gets here. Valespa and Nest Fragrance brand candles oh, yeah. are 20% off. Mm -hmm. We learned recently Ben's favorite candle scent. What is it, Ben? Uh, cannabis. Cannabis candle, guys. <laughs> Like cannabis can candle. Cannabis, yeah. yeah. I like the cannabis Light candle. Light a candle to get rid of the smell, but he just likes it so much. You got a candle devoted to the whole damn smell. I love the cannabis candle. So the candles are 20% off at this. They may not be there. I don't know, but I'll mention some other items because Ben can't stand rugs or pillows. So, you know, those are 40% off. Picture frames. Oh, he's never hung a picture. 40% off. in jewelry, 40 to 50% off as well. Mirrors and wall art, 30 to 50% off. Home decor and accessories are all 20 to 60% off. And lamps, 50% off. Once again, Murray and White in Andersonville, home of Ben Jarofsky's favorite cannabis candle. It's not really a candle. They've decided that they're going to close their doors, but everything now is on sale. Act now and get those candles before Ben does. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, will do. That's super cool music means we're almost done with the show. Not done yet. Sue Sedlowski Garza is still in the studio. By the way, D, I don't know if you know this. In addition to being the Alder Woman I think I know what you're of the say. 10th Ward, in addition to being the new chair of the Workforce Committee, in addition to being the daughter of one of the great uh, labor leaders uh, in the city of Chicago and the whole history of the city of Chicago, in addition to be one of those hippies running around Comiskey Park back in 1979 protesting disco. Sue Sadlowski Garza plays a mean organ. That's Sue Sadlowski Garza playing the piano. How about that, huh, D? Well, is she playing the piano or the organ? Uh, both. Oh, oh she's wow. like Ray Charles. The P organ. One, one, hand, one hand up here, one hand down there. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Anyway, we got a couple questions I got for Sue Sadlowski. I'm blowing the flute. <laughs> 
But before we do that, you got an update, young man? Uh, not an update, but just a question. It's the question we've been asking everybody this week. Oh, yes. Uh, I think I may know your answer, but just want to know just in case. Uh, with the Obama Center, it uh, looks like it's officially coming to Jackson Park. So we've been asking all of our guests in anywhere in the city of Chicago, anywhere in the whole giant city, if you could put the Obama Center anywhere, where would you put it in the city? Mm, U.S. Steel. Uh, I knew she was going to say that. I did, too. You could take the girl out of the 10th Ward, but you can't take the 10th Ward out of the girl. Lakefront, baby. Uh, let's talk about that. Uh, there, that's also a proposed one of the proposed sites of the Chicago Casino. Uh, where do you think uh, the casino should go? I think this casino should go in the port right next to Harborside Golf Course in the 10th Ward. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever been out there, but it's on a hundred, like it's on off of Doty Road, and it's a PGA tournament golf course, absolutely gorgeous. Sits on Lake Calumet. Um, we have a huge Big Marsh bike park right next door. We just broke ground on the Ford Environmental Center. Directly to the west is the Pullman um, Historical Site. So. If we put up that casino right next to this golf course, one of the th we've been approached to have PGA tournaments there, mm -hmm. but the problem is we don't have anywhere to house people. Same thing with the BMX tournaments. They want to do it at Big Marsh because it's built for like BMX style racing, biking, all that stuff. Nowhere to house people. Mm -hmm. We build a hotel and we build a casino. We build a hotel. We put fishing, canoeing, hiking, biking. We build an overpass from the Pullman uh, historical area. And we have a, at the Ford Environmental Center where you're going to be able to rent bikes, snowshoes, have um, some uh, uh, Hegwish marshes there too. We'll have a whole like destination recreation, right? Um, the casino could be an anchor. Um, do you think that's a contradiction having a casino next to all this natural stuff, all yes, this biking stuff? I do, but you know what? There, here's why it's so indicative to the tenth ward. I can walk to the Horseshoe Casino in, ha in Hammond. Mm -hmm. It's right. It's literally six blocks from my house. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel did a study. Forty-seven million dollars come out of that casino every month. 78% of the license plates in that parking lot are from Illinois. There's something like 18 buses a day coming out of Chinatown going to the Horseshoe Casino. This The, the spot that I'm proposing is right off 111th Street on the off the Dan on the Borman on the Dan Ryan you know get Dan Ryan to the next express boom you're there mm -hmm. 20 25 minutes I don't think it should go downtown I don't think we want to get that the the conventioneers and we have so many things to offer in the city already now we have a destination for not just Chicago but the surrounding suburbs as well now what about the Hoosiers I'm thinking I'd be upset if you put the I know you really care about Hoosiers tremendously, but uh, aren't they going to be upset if you put a competing casino so close to the, the one in Hammond? Um, I'm not going to worry about a Hoosier. <laughs> Remember, Indiana is a right-to-work state, so, you know, uh, not really uh, not really that empathetic. Yeah. Wonderful sir, wonderful people that live there, but not worry. <laughs> I, I got to look out for the 10th Ward. Yeah, and how, what's, what's the attitude in the 10th Ward about a uh, proposed casino coming? You've been talking about having a casino come down there for a while. Uh, what's what's the attitude of the people who live in the tenth ward toward that? Uh, it's there's a mixed bag of tricks, right? I mean, casinos. I, I, I'm looking at it as an anchor. I, I I don't really casinos are. If you walk into a casino, to me, 
people kind of look desperate in there. But the thing I like about the horseshoe the most is people are gambling, but there's a venue in there. You can go to concerts. Mm-hmm. You can. There's great restaurants in there. So it's kind of like a, a whole entertainment complex. I go there to see the. You know, I went there to see John Legend. It's a small venue, like 3,000 people. It takes me five minutes to get there. Parking's free. You eat at the restaurant. You walk across the hallway. You're in the venue. Yeah. I'm not dealing with all the crap that I got to deal with somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know, downtown or drive to Now, listen, this is one of my pet peeves, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I have mixed feelings. This is one of... Uh, I, I, gambling exists. People gamble. Uh Lord knows I've had my uh, issues with gambling. So I'm not saying uh, make gambling illegal. I am saying that it is probably one of the most regressive forms of taxation to fund government through gambling because the whole thing is set up. You know this, Sue. The whole thing Mm -hmm. is set up so the casino has the advantage. The casino wins. It's a sucker tax. You're taxing taxing suckers. have a lot of issues. Uh, with expanding gambling to the degree that we have in order to fund government because we're too chicken to uh, institute uh, progressive forms of taxation. Do you struggle this, with this as well? Uh, look, I struggle. I, I'm not a fan of casinos at all. I'm really not. But for me, um, we have like a 22% unemployment rate in our ward. And a casino with a hotel, with the recreation that I'm proposing, Big Marsh is already there. Ford Environmental Center is already there. I got a world-class golf course already there. No one has those amenities. It's on a lake. It's on Lake Calumet. It's a beautiful, you don't even know you're in the city of Chicago there. Those are the amenities that I think would bring people there because of the the tournaments that we can have. The the women's PGA tournament. I know they, they were, um, the, the port was approached by them as well. Um, yes, it preys on people that think that they're going to hit it big. And some, you walk into a casino and it's very, it's disheartening to me because you can tell that people that are in there are, are struggling, right? Mm-hmm. It, I, not a fan, not a gambler. I, we work really hard for our money. I can't put, I can't do it. But I, I, I got to get some kind of develop in the 10th ward, you know? So now I sound desperate. Yeah, no, don't, you're not that desperate, but I understand where you're coming from. And it's also like the reality, it's the way of the world. Uh, uh, so if you just cut yourself off from it, um, you're losing out money. The and deal they cut in Springfield, let's be perfectly clear, is not really indicative to making Chicago rich. I mean, it's what, a third, a third, and a third? And by the time we give everything out, if and when- What do you mean a third, a third? A third to the state? A third, third to the state, a third to the city, and then a third, I think, to surrounding suburbs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So. You know, it's not that great for the city of Chicago. And, you know, I worry about, too, like, how are we going to fund that deal? Where are you going to get the money to fund it when you're only getting a third? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's going to be kind of hard. So if you sell not just a casino, I'm talking about the the site that I'm saying in the port Mm -hmm. by Harborside, it's a whole complex. It's not just putting a casino in the middle of a field. Mm -hmm. Because then you just got a casino. Yeah. I got amenities yeah. up to yin yang. And now, uh, when we talk about pr- uh, prospective sites, uh, your ward, so far south, so close to Indiana, uh, the southeast side is so far removed from the power center of the city of Chicago that it's by hard. By design, man. It's by design. What do you mean? 
Because, I mean, you know, we're the most industrial ward in the whole city. We got the largest plant manufacturing district. Um, you know, whenever a business, uh, an industry wants to come to Chicago, they come to us. They're not going to put General Iron. Why do you think they're taking General Iron out of Lincoln Park? But, you know, we worked really hard to make sure that what's on Clybourne is not coming to my ward. It's going to be a state-of-the-art facility way far away from where people are. There's a facility back there now that has been there for, what is it, almost 30 years, right? And no one even knows it. She's there. talking about a metal-crushing uh, right. facility that used to be, oh, my God, the city of Chicago. Used to be in Clybourne on the north side of Chicago. And now that was a crazy place for there. I mean, that was not indicative to... Well, the area changed around years, it. Right. I mean, it, 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 the area changed around it, and so... Uh, now we're spending, don't get me started on this one, Asu, oh, please. tens of millions of dollars uh, to build an upscale community. You tell me there's 22% unemployment uh, in the 10th Ward, and yet we're spending all that money gilding the lily on the north well, side of Chicago? Here, here, the thing for me is, you know, you're, we're giving somebody almost one billion, we're giving a developer $1 billion in tax increment financing to build something that would have been built anyway yes. if that tax money. I got a question for you, Ben Jaborski. Uh-oh. Do you think, how would you have felt if that amount of money would have came to the U.S. Steel site? To, wait, if you tell me if there's a TIF deal for the U.S. Steel site, yeah, and if depends they would, what's going there. It, it, you, okay. Well, of course, yeah, but I'm, I'm asking you, how would you have felt, would you have felt differently? Yes, my instinctive reaction would be, well, this is where TIF dollars are supposed to be. That would be my instinctive reaction. Correct. Then I'd have to take a look at the specifics of the deal to see what are they building there? Would it have been built without the money? And my first instinct would be say, no, it wouldn't be built without the money because you know why? Nobody is building down there for Correct. all these years and years and years. So that would be what I would call a textbook example uh, Sue, of where TIF dollars should be spent. People think I'm cr freaking crazy. I am freaking crazy. But I am not completely irrational. No, you're on, absolutely uh, correct. On how you spend economic development dollars to uh, ignite development. You spend right. it where it needs it, and it can help some people. That's, how, that's what it was designed to do. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's been such an egregious... Violation, violation of all the principles. Of all the principle of, principles of what TIF is. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. So no, I would not. Now I'd have to take a look if like it was a TIF funded deal on the southeast side uh, for a casino, for instance. I have to take a look at that one. Do we need the TIF dollars for that one? Would it happen anyway? There's a lot of money in a casino. Why can't they put up the money to pay for their own? Well, how about this? We need to earmark that money. We need to earmark that money to make sure that it goes to our schools and our classrooms and our mental health facilities. Because one of the problems in the past administration, I, it's too early to say, what's gonna happen moving forward. We have to correct the mistakes that have been made of the past. We have to. And we can't just say, oh, this money's gonna go into the general fund. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. Yeah, I agree with we you. found out today, we sat in a meeting today with the owners of the Skyway, a privatization deal, right? They pay the city. Now, I haven't seen this contract. I'm just going on what was, you sat in the meeting. Um, One million dollars. They pay the city to have CPD sitting on the Skyway enforcing people that don't pay tolls. But they're not there. Where the hell does that money go? Where does that million dollars go? And Wait, how, time out. What do you mean they're not? The right, police are not literally there? 
Well, no. Why Why am I going to have a Chicago police officer? I'm sticking up for the police yeah. here. Why should we have a Chicago police officer sitting there writing tickets for tolls? What did you I, say today about technology? I said that with, with what, where we have technology, there's no reason why they don't design a system that could communicate with CPD and the state and give them tickets and where it's all automated. Yeah. Yeah. Why do they need to have someone physically writing a ticket? Yeah. There? It's I'll we, go one time. I, I have an issue with the the the, toll, the Skyway. Anyway, I got an issue with the Skyway 100%. from the <laughs> making people pay money to get down to the southeast side. Now, I know that predates. I'm even me. Okay, that yeah. was before even I was around. But uh, so I I'm not I I'm just new to this story. I didn't realize it. So the Chicago Police Department, the Tollway Authority, pays the city of Chicago a million dollars, and supposedly we are protecting their interests so that people don't. <laughs> Uh, so we just found out about yeah. this at 11 o'clock this morning. And 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 to be perfectly fair, uh-huh. look, I, I, the privatization deal with the Skyway was absolutely ludicrous. We shouldn't be privatizing public services. Absolutely. That's, my thing is, um, we just found out about this. They came because they're saying like, look, we're paying the city a million dollars to have Chicago Police Department. What did it, 30,000 30, people blow the toll. A month or something like that, a right? A month? 30, no, 30,000 a year. Yeah. 30,000 blow the toll? <laughs> so, I mean, and there's Boo, no, hoo, hoo. <laughs> Right, but there's no consequence. I mean, here- but I'm here, sorry, I'm having a hard time. No, I feel sorry no, for No, no, I don't feel sorry for them, <laughs> yeah. but here, here's where my dilemma is with this. Yeah. Why, we're, they're paying a million dollars to the city. Yeah. Where's that million dollars going for the past 15 years? Yeah. Because yeah. that's 15 million yeah. bucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want a police officer sitting there writing tickets. I agree. For a freaking toll yes. that you're blowing. A, yeah. That's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, so it just goes to show you there's a lot of hidden things in there these articles of, of content. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, there's so much embedded in what you told me, and I'm hearing about it for the first time. Just my report reporter instincts are just like fired up. Like there was that's part of a larger deal that was cut. And I'm sure that was to the advantage of the the toll the people who own the tollway. I haven't figured it out yet. But just when you tell me that, I'm like, uh-oh, there's something very suspicious about this deal. But yeah, I agree with you on the principle. I don't know why the Chicago Police Department would be wasting um, cops to, no. uh, but obviously that was the deal cut that the, the people who bought the toll authority wanted to guarantee that they got every, squeezed every nickel they could out of somebody. We have red light cameras. Mm-hmm. We have where you have speeding cameras that flashes your license plates. Why exactly what Julio said? Why can't we? Ha- they come up with some kind. There's technology out there that if you blow the toll, something electronically will send you a ticket. Yeah. How many times you get a ticket for blowing a red light or speeding? Uh, well, I've got two during the ROM years, and uh, I contested one and lost. So there you go. I didn't. Well, but it comes well. to your mailbox. Yes, it does. Somebody doesn't flag you down or. Oh my God, Sue! I tell you this one time. We're on a tangent within a tangent. One time, I think it was the year two thousand and. When was my daughter? And I gotta go back in my mind. About 2006, I went through a uh, uh, a toll. I swear to God, I didn't know I was going through the toll. And uh, it was like two years later, I got a ticket for that. I, I thought I dodged a bullet because I didn't have that little thing, you know. Transponder the, thing? Yeah, you put on your windshield. 
And uh, but two years later, they tracked me down. So the technology does exist. It is ridiculous that Chicago police officers be there. All right, before we go, I got to ask you your uh, what? What's the top of your agenda to do list uh, as the chair of the workforce committee? Past fair work week, past fifteen. I want to make fifteen dollars an hour the starting point, not the standard. Right? That should be the floor. It should be the starting point. And I want to work with Mayor Lightfoot and CPS to bring the trades back to the schools. What do you mean by that? I want to form um, an education, a vocational education task force, which Ish is going to help me do. Big boy. We're going to have to bring him in. Ish, he's out backpacking somewhere, but we're going to bring him in to talk about that. Um, I, I want to form a team, right? And I, I, it's so important that we bring, I have, we have, there's going to be 150,000 manufacturing jobs by 2025 that aren't going to be able to be filled because people are aging out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we need to we need to make sure that we train these kids up and a plumber and an ironworker and a carpenter and a and a, a a crane operator are admirable jobs that you can support your family on. And we're not giving people the pathways. And I'm not just talking about high school kids coming out of high school. CPS has got to stop saying college, 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 college. Because all these kids are coming out of college and the ones that don't get in or the ones that can't afford it are feeling like they're a failure. Now what the hell do I do? Well, you know what? There's plenty of opportunities. I want to model something after what the women in the trades do because they want, they, they run a fabulous program. Um, we got to do something. You know, and I think there's enough people, there's enough smart people at the table that can actually come together and implement. And it, we got to get CPS to implement something like that. So. I'm with you 100% on that one. And uh, anything you could do to help build better relations between the Chicago Teachers Union and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, I would appreciate that as well. They got off to a bit of a bad start. Uh, the CTU uh, went with a, another candidate in the race. Forget her name. What was her name? Oh yeah, Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, but you know what? Elections are elections, Sue. They're move over. Forward, you man. Gotta move forward. So come on now. Come on, Mayor Lightfoot. They're not that bad. The Chicago Teachers Union. Look, I've been known to hold grudges for a long time, Sue. But, uh, um, it's really you know one of one of the things for me is that you know I agree 100. percent And now we need to come together and talk and sit down and make sure that everybody has what they need, right? Yeah. Um, elections over, move on. And I think we all have the same, uh, the same values and morals. I mean, she fired the school board. I know we want an elected school board, but this is a great start. Yeah. I just wrote about, this is fresh on my mind. Uh, I, it, I got, well, I'm mostly positive feelings about it. I think it is the best school board, at least on paper, oh. on paper. I will see how they respond in real deal, but on paper, best school board. Uh, that uh, definitely since the not definitely since the mayor got to the free pick on the so back to ninety five by far the best school board, but it does undercut the movement into a certain degree uh, for an elected school board. I think that's really, I mean, Lori Life is not going to be mayor forever, Sue. You understand? What no, I'm I no, mayor. I totally listen. I'm for an elected school yeah. board, but we have to put stipulations in it where we don't have the Ken Griffin Juniors of the world coming and putting fifty million bucks into into the election, and now we have a whole school board that's you know takes away from public education either. Yeah. That's what scares the yeah. hell out of me. Yeah, that's that's a realistic uh, fear. And finally, uh, Fair Work Week. Talk about that. Fair oh, work. man, this is, gonna, this, I, this, is, this is my baby right now. This is something that people have been working on for over two years to try to get this passed, and it's going to affect over 400,000 low-wage workers in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's not going to cost corporations or businesses a dime if they schedule people fairly and do what's right. Give you a perfect example real quick. Um, I'm not going to name the hospital, but there's CEOs that make $1.7 million a year. And there's actually certified nursing assistants that have to call every morning. Am I coming to work? No, not today. Okay, well, here's the thing. A hospital, everyone has a budget, right? You got to have a budget for the year. They budget for Ben Javorski to work nine to five Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. So when they keep sending Ben home at noon or tell him not to come in, that's gravy money in their pocket. Yes, it is. So you know what? People have to depend on an honest, livable wage to feed their kids. This is such bullshit of what they're doing. And I'm having a, they're begging not to be in it. Oh, if there's a pandemic, if there's a (laughs) flu, if there's a tidal wave, a tsunami from where, we gotta have people to be staffed up. There is a provision in this ordinance that gives them an opt out if any of those things happen. And it says pandemic, measles, tsunami, tidal wave, because it got to be so ridiculous. I asked the guy at the table, how much does your CEO make? He didn't answer. I asked him again, how much does your CEO make? I, uh, oh, chairman, I, uh, 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 (laughs) depends on the market. (laughs) Uh, That was the answer. uh, These these workers deserve better. Some of these women, and it affects black and brown people across the board. No, I'm with you 100% Exploitation. on this one. And that pandemic thing doesn't even make sense anyway because that the the, the people are getting punished because they speak, think they're going to go to work and then they show up and they're told they're not going to work. If there's a pandemic, God forbid, everybody's going to go to work because they're going to need everything. It doesn't <laughs> and, even make sense. And the employer <laughs> is not even going to be held harmless if the employee agrees to come. Yeah, man. There's no fine. No, they, they come up with any old reason. And you know what? It's just like what Eddie Maher was talking about before. He was talking about the, the union workers who they're nearing retirement. They don't want to pay union dues anymore. Well, I'm near in retirement. No, you know what you are, guy? You're cheap. C-H-E-A-P, cheap. Well, you know what? Here's nothing. the thing. That- and those, the heads of those hospitals, they're tight, man. They probably don't even tip a waitress. They probably don't. Well, you know, those people that don't want to pay um, their dues are... And they say they're close to retirement. They're close to retirement with a pension yeah. because of what their union fought for. So you know what? I he, I loved what he was saying, and he's absolutely right. Put people on blast and take away their health benefits. Take it away because you know what? If you don't, an injury to one is an injury to all. Yeah. You can't sit there and just think about yourself in this game. 400,000 workers in the city of Chicago. No, that, uh, that that's a very important ordinance. Hope it passes. Sue Sedlowski, guys, we're out of time here. We're going to bring you back because you should be on the show every month talking about what's going on. Now that you're a big a big shot chair, and the next time you come, I want Chairman you to- of the Progressive Caucus. Oh, well. yeah, I forgot about that. Look at Sue Sedlowski, guys. PRC. <laughs> So, PRC. hey man, we have. I'm gonna tell you something. I just, I just heard from Alderman Coleman, Stephanie Coleman. That's, that's. We're up to 18 people. Oh, she joined it too. Well, she wants to. She's very interested. Well, Progressive Caucus is open to everybody. 
Ed Rouse. Burke, you want to be in the Progressive Caucus? Ed Burke's like, well, there are <laughs> there are some stipulations, but <laughs> Whoa. you got to be voted in. All right? Oh, come on, Eddie. Oh, you have to be voted in? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's like high school. It really is like high school. you got to be voted in by your peers, man. Well, you got to uh, make sure you're a, you know, a little left-leaning. Okay. Come on, Ed Burke. It's not too late to find that inner liberal. All right? Now, I spent, no, you spent your whole life being, you know, like basically a Republican. Anyway, enough picking on Ed Burke. Sue Sedlowski Garza, congratulations on being the chair of the Progressive Caucus and of your own committee and uh, having a gavel. Uh, That's the coolest thing. I know you get that gavel. Man, I'd, I would want to be a chair just to whack. So when I first sat, I sat down on Monday and there was no gavel there, I, believe it or not, I'm like, don't I get a gavel? <laughs> Judge <guess>. Susie. <laughs> Judge Susie. Scalp <laughs> <laughs> that gavel. Yeah, I'll bring it next time I come. All right, very good. We'll get you on next month. And we're going to get Ish on, the aforementioned Ish. Uh, he's backpacking. I don't know where he is. South of France. He's probably in Monte Carlo right now. He's gambling in Monte. Hey, should be spending that money in the southeast side, uh, Ish. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, we'll get Ish on. Julio, the pride and joy. What high school did you go to? Latin School of Chicago. Oh, he went to Latin for all the way from the southeast side. Yep. How did that happen? So he, the kid's With the brilliant. help of this woman right here. So yeah, he definitely. was my student. Now I know he went to Jane Adams, right? We went to Jane Adams. Was in my after school program for three years. Um, just, I've known this guy since preschool, literally. He was actually in kindergarten. He was the Billy Goat in the Billy Goat Rough Play. <laughs> oh, I think I saw you. You're brilliant. My God. Oh, wow. It's him? It's him. His Whoa, work. The Billy I know. Goat. The Billy well, come Goat. Come on, give us one line from the play. Oh, uh, no. No, no I, think, I think your line was bad. <laughs> no, what was your you line? You got it. I, I forgot. Man, uh, what kind of Billy Goat are you? Cross the bridge on <laughs> the Billy Goat. I was the troll under the bridge. Oh, the uh, troll, troll, under, the troll the, under the bridge. That's what it was, uh, not the Billy uh, Goat. I was the troll. Wow, you can't. How did you know that line, Sue? I, I, you wrote I because it? that's a famous story. You, oh, never, okay. come, you don't know Billy Goat Gruff? Uh, yeah, I do know Billy Goat. I didn't, I didn't, but I didn't know what line he had. You know every movie, <laughs> and you don't know Billy Goat Gruff. Do know every movie? It's sad. Oh my God! Have you seen the Elton John movie yet? I'm dying to see that. Did you see it? Got your name written all over, Did Sue you like Garza. It? Oh yeah, man, I love Elton John. And uh, it's, did you like Bohemian Rhapsody? Two thumbs way up for two <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. I love both of those movies. Bohemian Rhapsody, my humble opinion, too, is a better movie. But Elton John, I like the music of Elton John more than I like the music of Queen. So they just there's so many Elton John songs, and you oh, will yeah. love it. You got to yeah. go see it. Uh, all right, that is Sue Sedlowski Garza. I'm Ben Jarosky. We got to get out of here. Want to oh, thank. Uh-oh. Hey, one more plug. August. 31st, the Labor Day Parade and the Labor Day Festival. Chicago Federation of Labor is throwing down this year. 10th Ward. Come see us if you're interested. 773-768-8138. All right, time out. We're going to have you on before then, so we'll be pl- plugging that one. But one more time with that number real slow. 773-768-8138. All right, very good. That's Sue Sadlowski Garza. I want to thank Ed Maher. Casey Toner was here a long, long time ago. Leah did a great job, as you always do. And, of course, the man. Oh. Oh, actually, uh, you guys were talking about Troll Under the Bridge. Excellent segue here. We got an update before we go here. Breaking news. Breaking news. Ben, what's that noise? There we go. Breaking news here, all right? And the source of this breaking news is our President Donald Trump. Oh, what a DJ, too. The Troll Under the Bridge. (laughs) Yes, I I have... uh, 
I have his Twitter page open here. Just let me get into my browser. Just let me go to the Twitter page. Okay, we're on Donald Trump's Twitter page. Here we go. Breaking news here. After three and a half years, our wonderful Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be leaving the White House at the end of the month and going home to the great state of Arkansas. Wow. Oh, my Is he run for senator or something like that? Oh, wow. Well, he later went on to say, I really hope that she decides to run for governor oh, of governor. Arkansas. Oh, governor. That's okay. So She would be fantastic. Oh, God. Thanks. What a recommendation. Oh, my goodness. Well, and by the way, did they say if Sue Sedlowski Garza is going to get the job to replace her? Uh, wait, let me, look on, let me look on the Twitter page again. Here. Oh, sweet mother of God. No, it's not on there. <laughs> All right. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Anyway, what I was about to say before I was interrupted with that breaking news, and thank you for breaking that news, Sue Sedlowski Garza, did you know this? That man there, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, you know what they call him back home? Mm-mm. They call him White Lightning. Yes, oh. indeed. You did a great job. No, I don't. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thanks, Ben. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. And hey, if you uh, listen to the, uh, if you download, you know we live stream the program, right? Yes, we do on YouTube. Tuesday through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Just look up uh, Chicago Sun-Times on YouTube, and you'll see our ugly faces right there. We hope to see you tomorrow. We will leave you with the ever-so-informative Sarah Huckabee Sanders bar analogy. Best of luck, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And so the fifth reporter, like the first four, now paid nothing. He got a 100% saving. The sixth now paid $2 instead of $3, a 33% saving. The seventh now paid $5 instead of seven, a 28% saving. The eighth now paid $9 instead of 12, a 25% saving. The ninth now paid 14 instead of 18, which was a 22% saving. And the tenth now paid $49 instead of $59, a 16% saving. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.